Welcome to episode 69 <laughs> of Zapped to the Past. Titter. My name is... What? <laughs> yeah. Titter. <laughs> My name is... <laughs> you child. <laughs> I've been waiting for this one. My name is Adrian Mills, and I'm joined as ever by Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. We're using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap 64 itself. This week, we're going to be starting our look at December 1987 and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 32 of Zap 64, along with what was also going on in UK music that month. So, Graham, what have we got going on this week? In this weird old market town centre, complete with a CB and amateur radio shop, 15 variants of coffee, cafe and tea room, an off-licence convenience store newsagent fruit seller, hybrid, aquatic bird and reptile centre, and a second-hand curios and reiki health store of an episode. We grab our keys and dive into our fastest roadsters and its rumble seats in the decidedly bouncy Buggy Boy, polish our vibranium star shield to full luster and head into battle with the deadly Dr. Megloman in the pokey Captain America and climb into our best 8-bit blue spandex mankini, back comb our grey hair and shout oh, with Thundercats. We also grab a fedora and take to the slave mines of the Tuggy on a futile quest for 8-bit fortune and glory in the utterly abysmal Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom, head to Jellystone Park on a boring boo-boo hunt in the pedestrian Yogi Bear, and take on the mighty annoying wasp army of Cobra while simultaneously repairing potholes in the annoying Action Force. If that cosy trip down the market didn't yield enough crazy-priced garlic-stuffed olives and feta cheese, and you're now thinking that your name glue-gunned onto some timber would be a great door ornament, we slide into our best golden underpants and head into the blocky city, looking to throw some grannies and headbutt some gorillas in the decidedly odd street hassle, engineer our best triple word and double-letter word scores in the solo quiet confines of Computer Scrabble Deluxe, and gatecrash a swarthy 80s sophisto party looking to fart on the appetizers and take a dump in the bath in the crappy How to Be a Complete Bastard. We also take to the tiny track race and zoom around in miniature with none of the arcade fun in Super Sprint, take ourselves to the dull digital world of yet another 8-bit boring pinball game with Microball, before finally settling in on a double treat. Firstly, we explore the crazy shoot-em-up world of our very own 80s C64 gaming opus, Heli Squad, before taking a deep dive into the very tool he used to create it, the mighty shoot-em-up construction kit. There's so much licensed crapola in this episode. This is like wiping your ass with sandpaper. It'll feel clean, but with a niggling sensation of fiery chafage. Nasty. An interesting bunch. Interesting. Some ups, some downs, and some creamy middles, uh, which is always good to see. Uh, before we get into anything, though, the cover. I have remembered. The cover. We the must cover. talk about the cover. Do you like this cover? Um, Kind of. <laughs> it's got, I mean, it's very kinetic, again. Again, yeah. It's very similar to the uh, California Games one in tone, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's very, yes. you know, and it's really, it is really well drawn, I suppose. And it's it's obviously uh, Bangkok Nights, isn't it? So it the is main thing. I like the way yes. it's, it's shattering the Commodore 
software thing with his foot, which is quite cool. So it's you know it's got a bit of kineticism. It's also yeah, got Judge Death on this cover, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah. No. Uh, no uh, Thundercats here. We've got a sixteen-page Judge Death comic strip. Yeah, it's interesting. On. I mean, did you? Did you, if you? Well, you must have read it, of course. But did, did yeah, you read, read it, it for yeah. the podcast? Yeah, same. I was. I was actually quite enthralled by it. It's very good. It is. It's really good. It's always yeah, really, it's you know, interesting. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's it's odd that it was like almost a. 16-page advert for the Judge Anderson game because there's yeah. adverts for that and then there's that and then there's a picture of Judge Anderson and it's like, okay, we get the idea of you're releasing a Judge Anderson game. <laughs> well, um, you know, marketing is marketing is marketing, you know. Um, but it did make me want to read the rest of the, because uh, the, it is pretty cool, that uh, particular comic. So I was very interested in that. It's good. Yeah, the four dark judges are coming. Mm. They are yes. coming, they are. Coming back, essentially. Yeah. Like so yeah, so this cover, it's a... Uh, it's a young man kicking from Bangkok Nights, isn't it? It is, yeah. The headline underneath at the bottom there, Predator Exposed, made me laugh. In the modern context, <laughs> that could be anything. <laughs> I mean, we're, just ass- we're, <laughs> we're just assuming that that's something to do with the film, a Predator. That could just be some, you know, some Predator's exposed himself. <laughs> Who knows what that is? Yeah, absolutely. Operation U-Tree. Uh, <laughs> who knows? Um, but, but it made me think, because have we not looked at the film Predator during our travels? No, it's not out yet. I thought we, but we, I seem to remember and talking about have. the film Predator. Maybe we have, maybe we have. The film Predator isn't out till January 1988 in the UK. What, what the film? Yeah. Well, then we won't have talked about it yet. But I remember we were talking about Billy on the bridge and I think we were just talking about up, Predator. That, that we've, this probably come up in just our random asides. Mm, we may well have done it. I can't, honestly can't remember. We've talked about so many bloody films and stuff. Well, it's coming up anyway. There's a big. There's actually an interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger in this episode of Zap, which is kind of odd. Yeah, that is a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. There's also, um, which we have to discuss at some point, there's some uh, 16-bit games covered in this, isn't there? There is. It's... There's a really silly Amiga versus Atari ST debate in that, where they speak to game developers about, what are you finding are the key differences? There's Andrew Braybrook gives his thoughts on the Amiga going, it's way better than the ST. There's a couple of others in there going, yeah, it's way better than the Atari ST. And then another couple of programmers going, yeah, it's way better than the Atari ST. I get the impression that the Atari ST didn't have a lot to offer in games. <laughs> as a, aside from its MIDI compatibility, there was not a lot there. But it was a lot cheaper. Was it? I can't remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's 299 quid at this point, whereas the Amiga was 500. Whew. It might be more, actually. One pound per... Mega RAM, whatever it was. Yeah, but they made a point of saying, you know, the game, games on the Amiga, the game Amiga's clearly made for people that make games. It does all of this amazing stuff. The Atari ST's got so many problems for making games, it's stupid. It can't even scroll properly. Ah, so. not even compatible with my system. Exactly, exactly, exactly. No. So, yeah. So, it also predicts three gold medals in this episode as well, this issue. It does. There are three, three gold medals, them. aren't there? And also, yep. and well, we'll get to it next next episode. But uh, Maniac Mansions arrived. Interesting. It has. See what see how that turns out. Because, um, but yeah, three gold medals. Judge Death kicking Predator yeah, kick exposing in. themselves. Short shorts on the old uh, Bangkok nights. There we're, not, we're almost in his Bangkok jewels. There. <laughs> he's, he's Bangkok shite. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank God it's darkened. Thank God because it's obviously over. It's massively shaded in that area. Thank There's God. heavy shadowing of the uh, groinal area. Usual, usual explosions of fire around the person, which seems to happen a lot in Zap. Now he's obviously there's an explosion going off behind him. But you know what? It's all good. It's all. It's good. all good. I, yeah, I quite like the cover. It's all right. It's one of the better ones we've mm, seen recently. It and m- it more is. importantly, it's about a game in the issue. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So I know that's a bit of a bugbear of mine and you probably listen to this going, oh, shut up about that. But it's, <laughs> yeah, it's you know, important. There's, it's there's important. many games, but it's not getting their dues. Anyway, there we exactly. go. That's the cover. Um, so that's that. I don't think we've got much more to say about that. Should we get into no, the games? I think we should. All right. So let's get into our first game. 
It's a gold medal. It's by Elite. It's Boogie Boy. It got 97%. Graham, tell us all about Boogie Boy. So this is an official conversion by Elite of the 1985 Tatsumi Arcade made relatively famous for its triple screen display, which was quite unique at the time, from what I can gather. The C64 is coded by Dave Thomas, graphics by Bob Thomas, musician Dave Thomas, a lot of Thomases in there. And obviously this uh, is the conversion of an arcade. The arcade used actually pretty limiting hardware for its time, but it is 1985, so it's got two basically 486 CPUs running at 5 megahertz. It's got a Z80 doing the sound, and then it's also got a couple of sound chips, the old classic AY8910. So it was a reasonably competently bolted together arcade at the time with a bit of power under the hood. All of that is to create a fast 3D scrolling racing landscape through which you control a dune bug or buggy in a series of races. The object of the game is to drive around one of five courses in the shortest time possible, collecting special items to earn points. Each course is also littered with target objects to collect, with points awarded for driving through gates and collecting coloured flags. Time flags are also present, each of which adds two seconds to the time limit. Not a lot, is it, in terms of a time bonus, that, I thought. Anyway, um, you also get additional points no, if no, you launch not. your buggy into the air, and which is something that's also useful for clearing track-based obstacles. This is done by driving over logs and tree stumps and things that are in the pathway of your vehicle while you travel at speed, which flings you high into the sky. Extra points are also rewarded for putting the buggy on two wheels, which is achieved by clicking them onto these little rock things. And some of the tracks, um, it's also possible to drive the buggy up slanted embankments, which in the Arcade version looked like slanted embankments, but in the C64 version, look like giant slabs of grey, which appear at the side. But you do go up the sides and up the embankments, um, which helps you avoid track-based obstacles. There are five courses here, off-road north, south, east, and west in the arcade. They have slightly different names, so that's North Monte Carlo, South Southern Cross, East Safari, and West Paris, Dakar. I don't have those names in the C64 version. I'm guessing characters are limited, but there's a lot crammed into this. So off-road is a lap-based circuit takes five laps to complete while north south east and west are courses with timed checkpoints and point-to-point tracks your view is uh, and the game is of the buggy is uh, your view sorry of, of the buggy is from behind and slightly elevated like the arcade but not quite as close as the arcade the arcade's a bit closer in you control the buggy with the joystick pushing up to speed up your button changes your gear from high low to high high to low um, and it's down to slow down and obviously left and right. Well, you need this, don't need me to explain the uh, nuances of directional controls. You need to navigate the courses as the tracks are bendy and full of obstacles, which will slow you down. And of course, time is of the essence here. The more chances are if you hit too many of these obstacles or you run into the ground or you otherwise start slowed down too often, you are going to run out of time and it's game over. So that's really kind of all there is to this. Um, there isn't a lot of multiplayer action in this. Um, it is very much a one-player game, which I think is reflective of the arcade because I think the arcade was similar. I don't remember seeing the big two-player or multiplayer options in the arcade. It certainly is a one-player game, even if there aren't multiple players. They certainly aren't in the C64 version anyway. No, I think it was a, it was one player in the arcade as well. Yeah, and I, and I didn't spend a lot of time looking at the arcade, but I also noticed there wasn't a lot of other players, CPU players in the arcade either, the occasional one or two, a bit like in the C64 version. Although I'd hope they'd have more intelligence, but I'll look at that in a minute. Um, I think the graphics here, uh, title screen and the in-game graphics are actually reasonable versions of the arcade. They're obviously not going to be as well-defined, but they do move fast and the controls of the buggy feel responsive. Um, indeed, you can actually feel like you're progressing in this game. So you can feel like you're getting a bit better and that you can, ch- you know, you can challenge the tracks. 
you don't get flung off to the left and the right so readily when you speed up in this game. You do feel like you're in a bit more control of the buggy and it feels a bit more grounded. So it all moves pretty well. The engine sounds might very well do your head in over time because it is kind of like usual C64 wine. And you also, there is actually more annoying than that is the game collecting flag sounds, which definitely will do your head in after a short amount of time with a diddly-ling, 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 that sounds. Um, there isn't much in the way of other sounds here, but there is a lot crammed into the game, so you can almost forgive that. There is a tune of a sort at the start um, and when you start the game. So there's a few peripheral tunes, nothing major. So all the levels of the arcade are here, um, and there is most of the logic of the arcade. It's certainly one of the better games of this type, but my argument here is I don't know that this is gold medal material, and we'll sort of look at a little bit as to why. Um, you don't race against other players in this, apart from, because uh, it is a single-player game, but um, there are the occasional places where a second alternative CPU-type player exists, but in my experience of them in the C64 game, they just kind of drove themselves into the water on the side of the track at every given opportunity that didn't really present a challenge to me as the racer um, and i suppose their idea is the idea is that they're meant to sort of throw you in terms of timing they're not meant to really be a competitor but that's a missing element i think for the for me this because it would have been a nice challenge to have at least one other or two other players that you were racing against um they do cram a lot into 64k which is incredible that they managed to cram all most of this in or all of it in but there are things they could have done to elevate it including that extra player and I think it's fun for a while. And it's certainly one of the better and stronger racing games of this type. But I couldn't help feeling that the races, while they were fun, um, just needed more about them. After a while, once you sort of get to grips with the way it controls and the way you navigate, and some of the tracks do split into two. So obviously there's a little bit of memory about where things are and sort of memorizing where some of the timing things are. But once you get past all of that, um, it does feel like there's just not much more to go at. And it doesn't really seem to get... It's, it's like a peak of difficulty, and then it never gets any harder than that difficulty, or at least it never seemed to for me. And whether that means I'm getting better at it, I don't know. Um, I did experience, I try and experience all of the races, even with the ones with the sort of clearly drunk other drivers and things like that that just drove into the water. And my, fa- my prevailing thought of this was this is probably fun while it might last, um, but without that two-player option, without the interaction with something else, without the ability to really upgrade your vehicle or do any of those things, you are going to tire, I think, of those five tracks eventually. I mean, they are, cha- they are challenging, don't get me wrong, in that kind of outrun tradition of challenging. And you do want to progress through them. But I think once you start to sort of figure out the navigational challenges of each track and you start to figure out the difficulty of them, and there's no real crazy tight bends or sharp um, curves or anything like that on the track. There's nothing really that, you know, in the outrun tradition where there's suddenly quite violent changes of direction on the track in some instances, and you really have to sort of think about slowing down and navigating. You didn't really get a lot of that in this. And so I think it, they've perhaps made, perhaps the game, and I don't know if this is a legacy from the arcade, but it just felt like once you got, to grips with everything and you understood how the sort of jumping up and where those things maps were that this didn't offer you a lot more than that now at full price okay um is it just is it enough for a gold medal though is it it's got 97 percent gold medal and i get that it's a good conversion i don't i just didn't get um the whole feeling that this was this was this was just something that deserved that kind of that kind of praise i don't know i don't know on reflection looking back i know a lot of people like boogie boy and it is but you know what? Well, there's a little bit of reverie, I think, in terms of because there's not a great deal challenging it. Is this better than Pit Stop Two? Is my Pit Stop Two is a bit of my benchmark for racing games on the C64 for obvious reasons. Does this offer more than Pit Stop Two? Is it better than Pit Stop Two? No. Is it, so I don't know. Um, does it deserve this gold medal and praise and 
Maybe at this time they just needed a good gold medal arcade conversion, but I don't know. It's a bit of a travesty. It feels a bit like Ghosts and Goblins, kind of, you know, the reverie that mm-hmm. was surrounding that. And that was, but at least that, the, no, no, that was incomplete. This is at least complete, but I think it's missing something for me. And on replay, I don't know. I quite enjoyed my time with it, I have to say, but it wasn't a long amount of time I went on it. But what about you? Yeah, it's a faithful conversion of a so-so arcade. I think that's its main problem. <laughs> That's for me, anyway. Yeah. Um, the the original arcade is is probably would never would never be to me a gold medal just because it's it's all right. It's all again that triple screen thing. Once you squash it down a bit, it's all right. But it's you know it's a faithful conversion, and you know unlike the god awful Enduro Racer, this does manage to capture the look and feel of the arcade game pretty well. You know, it's, and as you've noted, it's all here to play. It's got all the courses, all the sections seem to be recreated faithfully, and it's all in one load, you know, which is pretty technically pretty impressive. It's smooth, it's pretty fast, and it's technically very, you know, like I said, it's, it's very impressive fitting all the arcade, but some of the small presentation parts, like the three, two, one, like the fingers that come out of the screen here, into 64K, you know, that is impressive. The feeling of controlling the buggy left and right across the track is quite good as well. It's it's whips about from side to side quite responsively. There's a lot to like there. It's a good sense of inertia to it as well. And it, and, and it looks and feels the part. As you have rightly noted, though, it is a bit easy. And this comes from the fact, in my opinion, it's not a racing game. It's an obstacle course game because you don't have to steer around corners. I don't know whether I turned to me on, but your corners just, you just continue straight. So there's no steering around a corner. What this entails is that it becomes very simple to navigate your way through quite a lot of the courses, especially when you also realize you don't even have to hold up once you hit top speed as well. It just becomes a left and right affair to go through the time gates and avoid the rocks and other stuff. Mm. Even the water and tunnel sections offer no real challenge as they may be curved. The trap may be curved inside them. You don't have to do anything to navigate them in any meaningful way. So unlike all other races, which have, you know, you know there's that force, centrifugal force. You know, as you go around a corner at speed, it will you are pushed out towards the edge, you know, by whatever that force is, gravity, physics, whatever it is, pushes you out. And this doesn't have that, which is kind of weird. It's like an auto, it's like an auto racer. You know, it's like a a, yeah, yeah. a, a modern yeah. day, you know, Sonic races or something like that. It's more like one of those. So it all makes it feel a bit weightless. So I, I actually tried the arcade game on MAME. Uh, I got it on MAME and I had a, I had a go. I thought, well, I'll have a go. Um, and it's a bit tricky because it's, it's analog stick trying to control the thingy. But when you leave it to go around a corner, it does drift you out to the outside. So there is that in the arcade. So I don't know why they've not put that in here. It feels like an oversight. Difficult to implement. Well, other race, every other racing game does it. You know, Pit Stop 2 does it. Super Cycle does it. Even Speed Kings does it. Even Tally Degger, Richard Petty's Tally Degger did it. They do a variant of it, but I think it's, you know, perhaps they're just wanted to make it easy i don't know it's a, it's an oversight but it's it's, it's what ch- changes the fundamental thing of this game <sighs> that said though you know it is an impressive conversion i suppose if you approach this as a high score attack game then the lack of force on the corners may not bother you too much but it's not a racing game so it's not going to scratch that racing game itch not it didn't for me you know no, you don't it's, really it's, race anything about it's not from racing the and it's, it's more like you know it's like um it's it's forerunner to things like sega rally and things like that i guess where you just you know it's track you know it's it's um you know it's a rally game so you're going through stages apart from that one with one one of them is obviously going around the lap the other one is all stage based in it like a rally get rally race so i don't know I, I i honestly don't know what to make of this one i know it is really well liked isn't it it gets high in all the sort of c64 yeah, yeah. Charts, everyone raves about it got 67 you know it's, it's not terrible by any you know no one would say it it's is, terrible. but I, I don't think the original game is that great that's yeah. the problem it's like paperboy not great arcade yeah and so whilst this is technically very good 
whilst this is technically a really good conversion and impressive that it's all in there, the, the, I think the problems lie pre pre book you know in the arcade with the actual source material. So, but then the weird choice to not have you going around corners properly mm. that's just odd it's just an odd choice I, I thought my i thought my i thought it was broken at first but <sighs> well the language in the zap review of this was i mean it was beyond evangelical wasn't yeah, it it's very effusive isn't it absolutely i mean they were you know this is the greatest 3d visual of a racing game ever was i think one of the comments or something like that i'm paraphrasing a bit but mm. and i read it and i thought i don't think so i'm sorry but i don't think so is this my benchmark is pit stop too as i said and it's nowhere near as good as that. No, it's nowhere not. Near. It's really not. It's not as good as Supercycle, in my opinion. No, actually, I don't like that particularly. But you're right; it's not as nowhere near as good as that. No, but that, that's a you know that's a thingy based one, isn't it? A sort of track based one where you yeah, absolutely stage, yeah. stage based thing. You know, I don't know, a weird one, Buggy Boy. But yeah, I don't really know what to say about it because it just feels it's technically good. But the thing to, thing I would say is it's it is technically well put together. Okay, I get all that. Gold medal, no. No, no, it's no, not. Not for me. No, it's not. If IK Plus is not worthy of a gold medal, and yet that is pushing the boundaries of what's possible, and it adds a lot more to the original game. What is this? What is so great about this that makes it a gold medal? And I don't, I don't get it. I don't, know. I don't, I don't see two, what it is. Up against the other two gold medals we've got in this issue, another game. Absolutely we've got. no way. No, no way. No, not a cat and else chance. No chance in heck. No. There we go. Boogie boy. Oh well, there you go. That's what we think. Well. <laughs> you can take that to the bank. <laughs> you can. I mean, we're not saying it's rubbish, but you know, we haven't said that. No, we haven't. We're saying what we're saying is it was average to begin with. Yes, that's very much. That's very right. So. There you go, Boogie Boy. I'm sure, that'll probably be better than our next one. This is all, by the way. This entire half of the uh, podcast is all brought to you by licenses, uh, conversions, and whatever else they can find. <laughs> it actually, is isn't it? it? Goodness, yeah, yeah. I put these all together for that exact purpose. Yeah, this is so like a, we've got like war in a toy shop. It is, yeah. So uh, this is this is eighties conversion licenses and all kinds of stuff here, going on. Uh, let's move into our next one then, because that's Boogie Boy. And our next one is another full price one, because of course it is, because it's a license. They've got to get that money back somehow. Uh, um, squeeze, absolutely. And pre pre uh, Marvel Studios, pre Disney buyout, we've got a version of Captain America. Oh god, what do we say about Captain America? Um, let's start off. It was this is. Uh, this was from Go, wasn't it? A Go? Yes, it was, yeah. I've never heard of them. They've suddenly appeared. They seem to be doing a lot first of a release. I think it says in the mm. review, like, we hope for better things. Well, yeah. there you go. Got 36% this. So this is from Go. This was coded by uh, Stefan Ufnowski. Uh, it was produced by Taran, and it's got music by Anthony Lees. Okay. Weird. So, you know, who knows? But really, oh, this, this has got one of the... <laughs> this is one of the worst licenses we've looked at. <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there right now. It's got... Sh- with a stupid opening screen... That would make V blush. Um, <laughs> it's it, stupid. It, the opening screen was just terrible. Anyway, oh, good Lord. This takes its cues from the Marvel cap- comic cap- character Captain America. Um, I'm not going to go into the history of Captain America. Just go watch. It, it, it's been around for ages and he's got a, you know, he's got a star on his shield and he throws it. And it's made of, uh, what was it? Vibranium. Um, is it adamantium he, or something? No, it's vibranium. I know that. Um, adamantium is uh, the thing, What uh, what's his face? Wolverine's got for his claws. I don't follow the rules. <laughs> you need to know your eums better than better than that. <laughs> oh, fair um, enough. So yeah, so sorry, Captain America is basically he was a small puny guy in the in the. Uh, I, I don't know the comics by the way, so I'm just going by the films here. He was a small puny guy in the in the in the Second World War. He got injected with special serum. He became massive, and then he got frozen and whatever. He became Captain America, and that's it. Who cares? Because it really has very little to do with this game. There's a rich rich you know license history 
of Marvel Comics to have gone at, that you could have had loads of good things in this, but uh, I don't know what, what went on. This, this game has very little connection to it all. This plot, such as it is, has Cap facing off against Dr. Megaloman. You ever heard of him? I don't follow enough Marvel to even know, but it doesn't sound like one. <laughs> and he's, he wants to be president of America, or else he will detonate an underground germ missile. Okay, well, it sounds a bit piece, pieced together. I haven't thought this through. <laughs> no. Germs are underground anyway. There's lots of them. Yes. So when the when the cap hears about this, he races to foil it by going through some kind of tube. I don't know. The plot to this game is ridiculously stupid. You've got an hour to sort out this ridiculous plot. So when the game boots up, it's got a very I'll tell you what it has got though. And it's got it's the, one of the things the C64 has on this, and I looked at the other versions, it has a better loading screen than any of the other versions. It's got yeah, a really good, good. We've, we've looked at bad loading screens, but the loading screen to this is really good. It's a close up of Cap, Cap's face, and he looks really menacing, looks really angry. But on the other versions, he looks really nice. It's worth going to, I'll, I'll try and find some pictures of it somewhere. But yeah, it's a, it's a really good title, a loading screen, and it belies what's coming. You know, it, it's like promises things that this game simply does not deliver. Even navigating the, once the game starts, you, you're kind of on this weird, it's, it's like the game starts, starting screen is also the title screen. So you've got a back view of the cap's head and, and uh, sort of clo- it's like from close up and there's his hand to the right. And you, you, you're kind of at this console and, you, uh, and you've got some scrolling text on the screen. There's Dr. Megaloman in the, in the uh, window at the top. And, you, and you've got to sort of push, push this, uh, grab hold of this knob, essentially. And that starts the game. You move his hand and it grabs his game. And then you've got five levels that you can choose from or you can move it up and down. So you want to start on level one because level five is incredibly radioactive and you'll die very quickly. The Basically, you, you progress through these five levels is how you progress through the game. I didn't get very far in it because it's stupid. So I don't know what the progression is beyond about the second screen. I guess Zap didn't either because that's all the images I could find of this game. So I don't think many people have made it very far. And I didn't think to go look for a YouTube video because I was so annoyed with the whole thing. So once you've chosen your screen, Cap, and you you, you select it, you, you get this sort of view from the side. It's a single screen thing. And so you're trapped in this screen, and there's a glowing door off to the right, in the top right of the screen. On either side of the screen, two droids come come down and start shooting at you. And obviously you're Captain America, so you've got your shield. So you've got, you, can, you can throw your shield at them. So that sounds all right. The problem is, is that the droids stop just above where your shield goes which is really annoying. Yep. And they kind of move up and down. So you've only got six shields if they, if they don't bounce back to you. And once you run out, you're trapped. At least that's what I found. I couldn't find a way of getting more shields. They just had to die and restart the game. You press F1, which that restarts it. Or you just have to go to one of the more toxic levels and die. And then you restart it. I don't know at any point why anyone thought that was a good idea. Just have the shield come back to you infinitely and give you a chance to get on. Because you have to, if you do manage to knock out those two droids, then you can go through the door. There's no indication of this though. The door doesn't stop like it's electricity effect going on it. It just you can just go up to it now and, and go through it. That's what I found. And then you go to the next screen, which is kind of like a really crap version of um, Smash TV. There's mm. these four things on it, and you've got to run around and throw your shield at them and try and hit them without falling off the side of the um, without falling off the side of the, uh, the the level that you're on, which I did. And then it puts you back at the beginning, and you've got to knock out the droids again. And at that point, I was done. I'd done this numerous times. I'd, I'd missed the droids. Like, this is stupid. I don't know. Also, as well, every time you die, the music restarts. So there's a button. There's an option to turn off the music if you press one of the buttons on this little control panel, and you can turn the music off because it's by Anthony Lee, so it's, it starts off okay, but it gets annoying pretty quickly, and so you want to turn it off. But it's literally like they're just resetting the machine to the title screen, I think, when, they, when you die and you're just going back. It just turns the bloody music back on. So you have to get into the game, go through the little... Pr- 
preamble, get into the game and turn it off. There's also a hilarious joke where it, it pretends to reset your machine or something, which repeats ad infinitum. Uh, stupid joke. Oh, God. Just just so much annoying crap in this game. The visuals, they're okay. I mean, like I said, the the, the loading screen is really good. That sort of close-up on the panel is really nice. The cap looks okay. Captain America, the sprite is okay. But it just it seems so mishmash, mishmash. Why are you fighting robots that float around in this some weird... I don't know. It just doesn't feel like a Captain America story to me or anything like that. I think it, it, I can only assume this is some odd take, as I noted on, on Smash TV, that it that's what the inspiration of this has come from for, somehow for the, for the second screen. But I don't know about that first one. It's like they looked at V and went, <laughs> yeah, hold my pint. I just know. I just wanted, after getting to the second screen a couple of times, dying quickly, falling off, like, no, I want no farther, further part of this. It's so stupid. It's a waste of a license if ever I've seen one. I've noticed here, I've noticed here, Captain America's. But there's a line. There's a line in um, you know uh, Endgame where they go, you know, that is that is America's ass. That is America's ass when he's looking at Captain, you know, the thingy, and he's like, yeah, this is this is America's ass. Literally, that's what this game is. That's what I thought mm. of this awful, awful thing. Thirty six percent, way too generous. Way, it's rubbish. What did you think? Same. I mean, I liked the initial graphics that were on display, as you've said. They, you know, there's some nice detail in those. Um, an odd control mechanism on that first display, wasn't it? Where you sort of, you know, you can grab and prod. They're not things I expected ever to do with Captain America, really. <laughs> and it's that weird back of his head view. So you're just looking at the back of Captain America's head yeah. with the ability to just savagely prod up buttons and grab things. I was like, okay, this, is a bit, <laughs> this isn't what I expected. Hey, in episode it, 69, I, I, expect anything. <laughs> I mean, the, the game has a look, I guess. Can it, you know, it does have that kind of, you know, the blue colorization of Captain America's uniform. My, my main thought here was, I mean, aside from the modern context of Captain America, um, the currency of Captain America at that point in the UK, so in the you know, 1987, must have. Been, I mean, I don't imagine it had much currency with everybody. I mean, was it, it? It was never something that ever really went across my radar. I mean, I'd heard of Spider Man, I'd heard of the Fantastic Four, and some of the cartoon shows that had made their way to the UK, but Captain America was just not something that was going to really, I don't think, land particularly well at that time. It took, you know, it took a lot of the most recent films to really bring it to the fore and the more recent portrayals, even prior to that, I don't think it had much longevity here. So a game based on that character, well, all right, the game's going to have to be something special because at least you might get away with it being a character in a game that you're not necessarily affiliated with the character, but you know the, the, the scenario of the game is exciting and you've got stuff to do and no, you don't get any of that, dear. I stood on a platform throwing my disc. It looked like a crap version of Discs of Tron, which made no sense. Yes, yeah, um, exactly. Um, and none of the mini games are any fun. And they sort of got more graphically inept as they went on. And in the end, just like you, I thought, I've got no time, no more time for this rubbish. And it's not, I'm not having any fun here. Captain America or no Captain America, this was just rubbish. Well, it was just rubbish. Graphically, quite well done. I, I think it's a shame. I think it's a shame that the graphics and someone had gone to, you know, to the extent of drawing those graphics, especially in that opening sequence, even though it is just prod and grab. Um, but they've gone to the extent of drawing those in that kind of way. But it's always a bit of a cop out. If you're, you're going to draw a superhero from the back of his head, it's not as interesting as from the front. I'm just saying, you know, there must there might have been a better way of doing that. Um, but wasn't very engaging for me. Thirty six percent. It's about right. What I'd expect. I wouldn't have paid full price for it though. Nine ninety nine for that. No thanks. No thanks. So, no, it's, it's it's really bad, isn't it? Really bad. It's Captain America. Captain America. Captain America. Captain all, all of them. Anything you can stick on the end of it that me, just means rubbish. Yeah. Yeah, Captain America garbage. There you go. All bad. All bad. All right, there you go. Let's move on. A 
because I'm sure the next one is going to be better where Graham, you can tell us all about the <laughs> the further adventures of Tigra <laughs> and Lion-O in say dance around <laughs> in their in, in their relationship. Uh, this is Thundercats. Go on, tell us all about Thundercats. Uh, this is uh, Thundercats, and is it the Eye of Thundera or the Missing Eye of Thundera, or the Lost Eye of Thundera? I can't remember. There's some subtitle to it. It doesn't matter. It's the Thundercats game. Um, this is by Gargoyle Games, which is essentially um, Roy Carter and Greg Foley. That's also the people that are behind Faster Than Light as well. FTL. So, so it's all a I bit of a mishmash. Okay. It is the same same people, yeah. Uh, graphics here are by Stuart Cox, and uh, the music, of course, is by Rob Hubbard. We'll come to a bit of the story around all of this, but before we even get to that, let's look at the story of this marvelous game. Some of the Thundercats, Tiger, Panthro, and Wily Kit have been kidnapped from Cat's Lair in some kind of fortress home invasion by the evil Mole Men, who are minions of Mumra the Ever-Living, or as I've called him, Mumra the Ever-Pissed-Off. During the raid, they also stole the Eye of Thundera. They stole the Eye. No one like, don't steal the Eye. Because <laughs> you can send them the Eye. Just, just in case you're unaware, the Eye of Thundera is the mystical gem embedded in the hilt of the Sword of Omens. It is the source of the Thundercat's power and is tied directly to their life force, it is traditionally passed to the current standing Lord of the Thundercats. In this instance, and if you're not fully aware of all of the story of Thundercats, which I am, and I won't bore you to death with it right now, but that's Lion-O. That person is Lion-O. So it's something, generally speaking, the Eye of Thundera, with all of that power and that gravitas that you do not want to lose sight of. Obviously, as the sole guardian of the Eye of Thunderia, with, the, with that single responsibility to ensure it doesn't get stolen, Lino has somewhat shit himself and decided to infiltrate Mumra's impenetrable fortress, Plunder. Plunder. Mumra's Plunder. fortress is called Plunder. Okay. Is it really called Plunder? Called Plunder, yeah. Get back the Eye of Thundera and rescue his kidnapped friends. So, you must traverse the 14 left to right scrolling levels of Plunder armed with your eyeless sword on a Thundercat snatch-and-grab mission. All the while, you will be attacked by angry mole men and their various evil colleagues who will kill you on contact. But luckily, Plunder is also strewn with supply boxes that give you such great things as extra lives, blaster weapons, and more swords. And as just a little aside, I don't get why they would keep a supply of swords in boxes hanging around, just in case. <laughs> seems seems very, very... It just seems something you wouldn't do. Don't keep a handy supply of Thundercat usable swords in your secret fortress. So I'm guessing the disposable swords, which by the way, isn't very carbon footprint friendly anyway. So anyway, you've got to make you through all these levels. If you make your way through level three, you're going to find Tigra at the end there. So you've got to rescue your, your chums. If you get through level eight, there'd be Panthro. There he is. Um, they kidnap the most difficult Thundercats to kidnap as well. So these Mormon must be pretty proficient <laughs> kidnappers because Panthro is yeah. a big dude. He really is. Um, yeah, you don't, you don't mess with them. These are actually, by the way, if you don't know what they are, these are all lords of, of these are lords of the Thundercats. All of them. Lionel was actually a child. They were all all still adults, and then when they went into freeze before they landed at Third Earth, when Jaga froze them all for the journey, when they get there. They're still the same age that they were, but Lionel's chamber went wrong and he actually ages. So when they get there, even though he's got the mind of a child, he's got the body of a man. Something Tiger is very familiar with, I'm sure. That <laughs> anyway. So on the penultimate screen, you're going to find Wily Cat just before Mumra pops up to do battle to the death. If you defeat Mumra and you get your eye back <laughs> and rescue your friends, then everyone can go back to Cat's Lair for a cup of Thundera tea and some of Chitara's lovely sponge cake. <laughs> How nice is that? That'd be lovely. I'd love a <laughs> little bit of that. So, so that's that's the story of the game. If you're a Thundercats fan, and I am a huge Thundercats fan, the first thing you're going to notice with this game, after the somewhat horrifically jaundiced-looking Lino picture on the title screen, is the music here from Rob Hubbard, which is not the Thundercats title music. 
Thundercats music, by the way, is famous. Famous Thundercats music. Da 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 da. Thundercats. Yes. Shout, yes, it shout is. Thundercats. Feel mm-hmm. the magic and all that. No, if, I don't even. I don't need to say those those few notes, and you know what it's going to be like. But so it seems odd that this the only version of the Thundercats music was you was Mark Cooks's, which was used back in Bomb Jack Two, and there is a reason for this, of course. Yeah, we because the whole that, yeah we did, but this is an extension of that, Adrian. This is an extension. Okay, the whole thing the whole thing with this Thundercats game is that it never started out as a Thundercats game. This one included, according to those cool cats at the games that weren't. This game actually started out as something called Wolf. The original thought was that this was the never released sort of samurai game, and that that was what eventually became this Thundercats game. Because at the time, remember Elite when we talked about it before when it was Bomb Jack Two, Elite actually had set three people in motion to create a Thundercats game. I'm guessing in some kind of race. I'm not sure what they're really doing. They had two different teams and a third, I think an internal team. One of those games became Bomb Jack 2. One of them became something else. And then there's this. Anyway, so it turns out that the most likely game um, that was this ge- that became this game was something called Wolf, based on some information from Chris Abbott at c64audio.com and his research into Rob Hubbard's well-documented catalogue of music, where it makes mention of music for a game called Wolf by Gargoyle Games that was never released. So by process of elimination and by looking at the games that weren't website, of course, we'll place the links in the show notes, Wolf became Thundercats with some tweaking. Some of the tweaking being mainly the backgrounds. Obviously, it featured a character that looked a bit like a wolf. Handy, that. A little bit of graphical change and the backdrops changed at the back where there were mountains and there was a moon. Now that's changed to something else. But essentially, I think what we got here is wolf in the Thundercats clothing. So the game then. The in-game graphics are a tad off. (laughs) They're not terrible. But they're certainly not amazing. There's a weird mix here, including some scanned images at the back, I think. And the so the sort of weird scanned images that exist in sort of backgrounds, which are from the Thundercats sort of world. They look Thundercatty, but they are clearly sort of digitized, which makes me think that they did that quickly to erase the backgrounds that perhaps have been placed there for the wolf game. Um, so I sus- suspect they quickly needed to cover those up. Your Lino sprite is quite large, and I guess it looks like Lino, and he can run and jump, both of which are reasonably well animated. But his sword swing is a tad clumsy. <laughs> um, so he's just a bit unwieldy. It reminded me of Rastan in a weird way as well. There's a hint yeah. of that, although that comes later. The backgrounds are generally walls and rocks and ground, some occasional pillars. And then when you get down to the deeper levels of uh, plunder, what look like massive takeaway kebabs on skewers. <laughs> um, they're all kind of shaded and a bit and a tad bitty, um, but they look like they should, I suppose, in the context of this. And the sounds are okay too. Again, they're not going to shout Thundercats at you for obvious reasons, but I suppose they've added enough of the relative Thundercats iconography to just about get away with it. The sadness here is that this game is banal and meaningless. Just roam across the levels, jumping over pits, avoiding or bashing mole men, repeat, 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 with a rich repository of characters, stories, vehicles, superpowers, indeed the whole Thundercats universe at your disposal, the best they could come up with was this kind of Rastan-style run and sword sort of smash caper. This is more Beastmaster than Thundercats. Indeed, one of the key things about the Thundercats is that there were several of them. So a game that leveraged um, that particular fact might have been a better proposition. What remains here, because you are a Thundercat looking for other Thundercats, uh, what remains is just dull and repetitive. A sad thing when you think about it, especially given the popularity of the license and everything that exists to this day. Just as a little idea, and I'm just going to give out a little bit of advice. I know it's retrospective now because this game was made many years ago, but how about you make a Thundercats license and start with the game based on the actual Thundercats and then build on that as opposed to keep trying to change games that weren't Thundercats into Thundercats games. I'm just, you know, it just seems like <laughs> an obvious thinking. place to start. Just, I know. just radical thinking. 
crazy thinking like that. I don't know what you're on. You know, you don't go very far in this industry. We we, we can't start a Thundercats (laughs) game by using actual Thundercats. It's not possible. Um, I mean, I I, I know it's a novel approach to game design, AD, to start with the IP and the characters of the licensed game you intend to make. Madness. Crazy, I know. And crazy talk like that. And, you know, and that isn't, you know, it's just, it is, it is just, I'm just putting it out there. Um, (laughs) But I would say start there, start at that point and hire people. And again, this is just, I'm just putting this out there as advice that actually give a toss about the game and the license thing that you're trying to make too. They have actually some knowledge about that. So you don't end up with this which is a not even a licensed game, really, that's based on the Thundercats. This was something else that was converted into a Thundercats game because there was a panic about not having a Thundercats game. You were doing a disservice to every person that likes that particular IP, mm-hmm. every person that's worked on that IP and struggled, struggled and drawn all those animated scenes and done all of those and all the voiceover and all of this series. This is a big series. There's there's a lot of episodes of Thundercats. It's an iconography that's persisted and it's you know it's one of the famous 80s cartoons. You're doing all of those people a disservice, even at that stage in the 80s, by putting this rubbish out. So I think this is absolutely terrible. I mean, it got 74% in Zap. How? I do not know. I don't get it, but I'm, I've given up worrying about what they think about these things. It's just, this is an absolute travesty. Sadly, this isn't the worst licensed game we're going to come across by, by stretch in this episode. But this is shocking. Um, and as a you know a very hardcore Thundercats fan, I can tell you this is just crap. And and it's not it's, this is no Thundercats game that I would ever signed off on if I had anything to do with it. Nor should anybody avoid it completely. It is rubbish. And um, what about you? Yeah, it's. Um, I actually noted it was probably a, a riff on Rygar. Um, Rastan as well sort of thing but that kind of Rygar style of play um, I know Rygar came before this so it's that run along a flat level and kill stuff with a weapon isn't it it's, it's that where you know insert scrolling arcade game where you hit people Legend of Cage whatever it's one of them Hysteria and yeah, Beasts all and the, loads of them all them yeah so it's, it's you know and it's a very it hides its lack of depth behind a very short time limit for each level so you never really get a chance to notice the annoying level design and the actual lack of anything any content you simply move through the level as fast as you can and that's it because you don't have any time you, you just don't it's just leg it you've got to leg it run run lino run which was the uh you know the name of the film before they changed the lola um <laughs> that's a very different film i can tell you so that, that's it. it it gets very samey very quickly the graphics in the game they're okay Lion-O is recognisable, I suppose, because it's called Thundercats. Although the loss of his friends has turned the poor cat's hair grey from its usual fiery redness, <laughs> is what I thought. Um, why is his hair not red? It should be red. Don't question. Don't question He's got it. Very red hair. It's one of you know. It's his defining thing. You know, yes. he stands in front of the mirror every morning, preening that hair. Well, he's a he's a lion. Oh, yeah. He's not. He's not. He's not No, he's not greyo. <laughs> whatever that wolfo. Um, <laughs> So the baddies are a mixture of medium res critters and the backdrops are simple blocks of color. There's a you know a parallax scrolling forest or something in the distance. Yeah, I don't know. If you want to run and slash action, I'm trying to think of, you know, I suppose you just go play on Tyriad or something. It's not running slash, is it? But something, this isn't very good. It's better than this. It, well, of course it's way better than this. I don't, I don't think it's... I, I, I didn't think it was terrible. I thought once I got into the pace of it, which is just leg it, it's kind of like reminding me of Eyeball. Once you get into the pace of that, Eyeball's the same. It's just run. Just, well, not run, but just get up. Get, go, go, go. It's a race game. And, you know, uh, but it gets old very fast, this. You're not going to make your way through all 14 levels. 14 levels of this. Yep. And then you've got to fight Mumra at the end, which is awful, by the way. Oh, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't get that very far. You do, I know. I'd just leave them. They can rot in Mumra's palace. Pa- palace of Plunder. Plunder. Stupid name. No. This isn't very good, but you are right. It's uh, it's not the worst we're going to come across. It's really not. Uh, that might come up next. I don't know. I don't know why. 
why i don't understand this and your question is really pertinent why not start your design for a thundercats game with the thundercats i don't get it i mean it's not like it's it's not like it's some difficult paradigm of characters to work from well how can we make these into a game what possible situation could we put these fighting cat creatures and these evil minions on this planet that they're unfamiliar with you can't make a game out of that that's far too difficult it's like what Madness. we said about um uh, what was it? Uh, Scooby Doo. So with Scooby Doo, you know this that crap game that, that was, which is similar in tone to this. Walking along, punching yeah. stuff, hitting stuff, yeah. crap, just rubbish. But you know, with a little bit of take a step back, you've got something like Murder on the Mississippi, Maniac Mansion coming up. You've got all these kind of games that show the '64 is quite capable of doing a murder mystery, the detective, all these things we've looked at. Uh, so I don't know. It just, it just, it's, it's clearly just that oh, we've bought the license, get it out as quick as we can. We need to recoup the cash on the, what we've spent on the license. And I think that's what these games fall down on. Um, when it's not a, an arcade conversion where the blueprint is already in place and they have to come up with something original, and it's just done happen because they've, I think they've, they've, got, they've got to get a turnaround and get the cash back. And so they just pump something out, throw it out there. I don't know. Didn't think he'd take 15 months. Was, was it Night Rider? Yeah, something ridiculous that. like that, yeah. And, and then yeah. we ended up with that garbage. So it's yeah. just, you can see what the problem is. It's just seen you in the face. Short turnaround of title leads to crap, samey content. Yeah, yeah. Just, and it, yeah. of course, the prevailing factor is that when you don't start out to make a Thundercats game and then someone goes, that game you've made there, any chance you could put a Thundercats logo on it and go, <laughs> I suppose we could, but it's, it's not really a Thundercats game. It is now. Yeah, it is now. Oh, well, should we put the Thundercats music in it? No. No, 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 because we've already paid for that music. So yeah. you know, put that Rob Hubbard music in there. It's nothing like Thundercats, but put it in no, there. no one will notice. Yeah. And can someone draw a really crap loading screen? Oh, <laughs> that loading screen was done, stupid. Done, and I'm done. And I'm done. <laughs> stupid really bad <laughs> oh there we go thundercats license crapness let's move on into our next one more license crapness actually because our next one is the commodore 64 conversion of indiana jones the arcade game indiana jones and the temple of doom did we ever? No, because it was 1984, wasn't it? Temple of Doom. So we've never actually spoken about the film. No. So I don't know. Does everyone know what Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is? I guess most people probably do. I think there can't be anyone who listens to this podcast <laughs> who is not familiar with that film. <laughs> That's what I mean. Uh, so Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, it is the second um, in the Indiana Jones series of films. Obviously, the first was Razor the Lost Ark. That was 1981. This is, came out in 1984. And it, it was a, a, a tonal tonal change for the series. I mean, it, Razor the Lost Ark was quite gory in, in, in and of itself. Itself, but this was a bit of a, a weirder tonal change. It, it was a bit more. It tried to be more adventury. It got rid of the Nazis. It got into a lot, quite a lot of controversy because of its uh, depiction of India and Indian people and the Tuggy Guards and all that kind of thing. So there's kind of some controversy around this film as well. And as, and, and also as well, it was it was also cut. I seem to remember quite a bit for the cinema because of the of hearts being ripped out of living people and all that kind of thing. The plot of the film is essentially Indy ends up in the middle of India where he is tasked by village elders to go and rescue the Sankara stones from the evil Mola Ram who has stolen them for nefarious purposes. What's he going to do? He's going to raise some goddess, isn't he? Is that the whole point? Kali, is it, or something? I don't Kali, know. I think it's Kali. Kali, Mumshava, Mumshava, whatever, yeah. So he's, he's, the plan is to use these stones, these mystical stones, to raise this goddess. And so Indy, with his new uh, his new psychic, Short Round, and new female psychic, uh, Willie, Willie, what's her name? What was her name? Uh, Willie Thorne. <laughs> Which it was. That's the snooker player. Could have been him in disguise. <laughs> oh, Willie something or other. Um, Willie Wacker? 
Willy Wacker, Willy Bob, Willy something. Someone, if you're listening to this right now, you're shouting the name at us. We, we'll come to it. Let me just have a, a quick look. Um, anywho, the point is... is Willie Scott. Willie Scott. There it is. Yes, Willie Scott. The point is the three of them end up in this adventure to try and get back the Sankara Stones. And this takes place through the mines. They've, basically, it turns out that they're kidnapping children. They took all the children from this village um, along with the stones. And they're using them for slave labor to mine out this stuff and fights and chew and yada yada and there's a crocodile in sequence and there we go it's a great it, it's a good film it, it's probably the well it's probably the second second worst in it it's for a third in the ranking i guess behind number one yeah yeah it's still huge it's, at the box office it was but, massive yeah. at the box office huge it took 300 you know 300 odd million when it was released it was it was a massive release and so you know we're, we're talking Big, big film. And Atari in 1985 did a three-level arcade game conversion of this where they took some of the elements from the film and they made them into uh, a, a good looking and a good sounding. It had lots of samples from the film and things like that and lots of the music and all cool samples and things like that. And, and they made that into this arcade game. So now, two years later, Atari, uh, via US Gold, have brought us their home conversion for the Commodore 64. So this game, like the arcade, is split into three parts. So this was developed by Atari. I, c- I couldn't find any detail. I don't know if you did on actually who the developer who made this no. who was responsible for it. It's just in-house Atari. So God knows. I don't no idea. I don't know who's responsible for this. So the first level, you know, when the game loads up. Oh, did you think that he looked very thin on the loading screen? <laughs> yes. The perspective was slightly off for some reason on the loading screen. I put it looks kind of like Indiana Jones, <laughs> but he might he might have been trapped underground for a while. I think. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a bit thin. <laughs> the perspective. There's something wrong. Like someone's not quite understood perspective and no, how a face looks and an angle. <laughs> um, something's off. Something something's not right there. So once that loads up, you are treated to I want to say a version of the Indiana Jones theme. Oof, that music's so <laughs> awful. <laughs> Made worse, I think, isn't it? Because that that particular bit of music is so familiar to everybody. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, yeah, so when you hear a bad version, it's like, it actually angers you. You're like, God, you can't even get that right. (laughs) No, you've you've drawn him wrong. He looks too thin. The music's weedy. This doesn't bode well. So the three parts, you've got the first, when the game first starts, You've got Indy, and he stood, I think, in front of the, front of the uh, sacrificial altar, or whatever it is. He stood in front of some. He's, he's in the mines, um, and so the first part sees you wandering around these uh, these these mines, and the very it's a very small part. They loop around quite quickly, um, just. and you've got you've got your whip, um, and for some reason, Indy is dressed all in white, like he's off to a I don't know a wedding in sort of Harlem, 1978. <laughs> so, you know, he looks like he's off to a disco disco wedding. But he's wandering around with his whip. There's a couple of snakes when you start as well. I don't remember snakes in the film. There in, are none in that sequence. No, I don't think there are. There's just a, And they don't do anything. They're just there. You just whip them. <laughs> whip them real good. And then they're gone. They're from you know. the arcade, but yeah. Yeah, but there's, yeah, so the stuff is from the arcade. So you're wandering around these sort of going up, la- going up ladders, going along... Uh, revolving sort of belts, whatever you want to call them, travelators or whatever. And you, you there's, there's seven caged children, which is kind of like, you know, the bit from the film where you've got to free all the children or, or, or short rounders. You have to whip the cages and that frees them. You've got to free all seven. There are tuggy guards wandering around as well. And you've got to, you can whip them and you can keep continually whip them and whip them off the ledges. But it doesn't really matter because another one spawns immediately. There's two of them dotting about. If they hit you, you lose a life. You've got five lives. 
lose all fives game over um if you fall off any of the uh, l- levels and you probably will because the controls are, are a bit dodgy and ropey you probably will so you know you might get to the second level if you get to the second level this sees you it like similar to the arcade navigating the minecart sequence from the film so the famous minecart sequence where they're trying to escape and they're going down the mines and they're having fights and jumping and all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the film but this sees you i, I, I want to say it's isometric but uh, but again I'm not quite sure who did the graphics for this understands perspective. I think they've got one eye going to the shops and the other eye coming back for change. <laughs> so it's, 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 let's just say it's at an angle. Um, so it's not a good angle. It's not a good <laughs> angle. You, so you're, you can tilt your car left or right to steer um down you know choose where you want to go at the tracks you can i think you can hit some of the uh some of the bits as you, you know to change the way the tracks go and you can also lean if you when you're on the track you can lean to the left and right and you need to do that to avoid gaps on the track otherwise it's game over use a life whatever if you get through this stage then the third stage has you trying to recover a sankara stone from the sacrificial altar uh, while avoiding i think you've got to avoid molar ram i never got to the third stage yeah, yeah. so uh, you got to avoid molar ram and then you make your escape and then and i guess it loops round harder you know, whatever um so that's this that's that was the arcade so that all three stages from the arcade are present and correct i'm not quite sure they're as big as the arcade version though the it's got a multi-load hasn't it um yeah horrific multi-load so the multi-load if you die all your lives on the first level has to load in again why Why? i don't know why (laughs) because you can't you can't you can't be you know all it does is go back to the title screen so the title screen's in memory. Why is it going, I'll reload it? No, it's in memory. Just do a check. Did he get to level two? Have we got rid of that? Whatever. I don't even know why it's multi-load anyway. This is not a big game. No. You know, we've seen much bigger games in, in, in 64K. It's bad just bad coding. Code. Just low. I think, you know, it's just another one of the things. This has obviously come from Atari from the US, and it's it's built for a disc. It's built for a disc game. So I think they just don't care of it. If it's going on disc, just make it multi-load. It's easy. Who cares? Don't have to worry about memory so much then. Yeah, so... It's all bad. The graphics are bad. The sound is bad. The controls are bad. And this really is another example of what you're left with when you strip back the fancy visuals and sounds from an arcade game to lay bare what is underneath. I think Charles Rignall says it actually in his review. It does. Like, he just, he says, you know, the game itself ain't that great. And when you strip all the way, they'll finally, we've said this about so many games this year, these arcade ports. It's just not very good, you know. It was cool in the arcade here in the here in the uh, you know the samples from the film and stuff, but here they're all gone, and all you've got is that weedy tune. Oh, just awful! This is a stinking corpse hanging from some spikes in a pit. This game is pure chilled monkey brains, and there's certainly no fortune and glory to be found here. Um, in another time, I will be found, but this game won't. <laughs> Oh, how, many pu- how many <laughs> puns can you fit into oh, one Mom sentence? Shiba, I wish I had taken this game from here and never let it see the light of day. I hate Snake and I hate this game. <laughs> I, I can't with loads more, but I'll leave it at that. This was not the antidote to the poison I just drank. <laughs> it really wasn't. No. Oh, dear. Oh, they took <laughs> this game from here anything did um, not go <laughs> no god it was so awful so that, uh, i want to question as well i mean you this must have bugged the shit out of you but do they not know that the c64 has a register for scrolling the screen smoothly don't even get me started <laughs> i'm not sure they do because it's just the scrolling so jerky and so the scrolling slows down as well as loads of slow down so yep. when it, the squalor, it's just awful. It's nauseating to play. A stinker of a conversion from the ground up. Muddy visuals, awful earache-inducing music, a proper clanker. 
Awful. <laughs> you know, this should have been given to the Hovitas as some kind of punishment. I should. Um, awful game. Awful. What did you think? I never liked the arcade, I'll be honest. So this was on a bad foot for me to begin with. The arcade was always too hard. You always died in the minecarts. And um, but at least it you know it looked visually okay I suppose is the best you could say and I think the last time I remember playing this was at some it was in an arcade that was in a like a um, like a Butlins type camp when I was I mean that's how long ago this is you know when that was a thing you could do when you were a kid so at least it had samples from the film didn't it and the graphics were a nice kind of pixel art style which all kind of worked in yeah, the context yeah, yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah, just wasn't very interesting because, in all fairness, Temple of Doom is actually one of the worst indie movies, um, which is contentious to say, but it's just one woman screaming for pretty much 90 minutes as far as I remember it. Well, Willie Thorne. Yeah, <laughs> Willie Thorne. Well, he, he would be. You know, if, well, I, I came here to play snooker. Um, this seems a bit obtuse. Why am I having to eat bugs? Just eat them. Um, so the 64 version is obviously suffering from limitations. And when I say suffering from limitations, that's me being kind. And in this instance, there are limitations that kill any of many things that you might have even tried to like. And, you know, does that mention it's a good loading screen, as we've already said? I think he looks a little bit thin on the loading screen. It's Indiana Jones. Oh. Is, it, is, that, is that Indiana Johnson? It's like a lookalike. <laughs> so I'm not sure that's not Indiana Jones as I remember him. But get, so, get me his cut price Mexican equivalent. <laughs> <laughs> so it's somebody that maybe looks a bit like him. The game graphics, there's no other way of describing them are rubbish. I mean, they're really poor. The nicely drawn sort of iCloud pixel sprites from the arcade are replaced by blocky, badly animated crap that scuttle around the equally blood-drained, colour-drained backdrops. Just drab. The drab backdrops. Yeah. They're repetitive and dull. The grey and black caves with boring ladders and the exact same tuggy guard that's running around all the time. So there's no (laughs) variation. It's just the same guy. I kind of felt sorry for whipping him all the time as well because he... They don't always de- permanently die. They just kind of get on their hands and knees like, ay, 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 ay. And I was doing that a lot to them. Um, but it was the same one. So I thought, well, okay, he's just a sucker of punishment. He keeps coming back. The minecart sequence in this C64 version is utterly, utterly awful. I mean, goodness me. Not only was it badly drawn, with a sprite that literally changed shape when you went yeah. right. It just changed shape. It was just a different shape. It was. It went from being a one very... I mean, it's, like you said, the person who could drew this clearly didn't understand angles, um, which makes me worry about every shelf in that person's house um, and every door, uh, but he didn't understand angles. So when it was coming towards you isometric-ish... Okay, when it went to the right, and by the way, that some of those right turns would have put bloody Auto Man to shame. I think he'd zap say it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were they were harsh turns. I mean, you you cannot you cannot turn a a a you can't you know, do mind that. cart right angles. You can't do it. So, no, you know, there's there's a reason why you can't turn a train ninety degrees <laughs> any given moment. You just can't turn ninety degrees. They can't do it. Not possible. But you can in this. Um, so it's badly. It's really badly drawn. Really bad perspective. The mind track pit bit was really stupid. And I managed to get through it pretty easily actually. And I didn't really try. So I don't know if I was just lucky, but anyway, I got to the, fi- I did get to the final bit, which is that really, it's just a slap across the face when you get to that throne thing. And it's just, it's just crap. It's just really yeah. crap. It's you no know, Molaram appears and it's like, whip, 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 done. I was like, oh, you know what? This is just rubbish. That music is a testament to your acuity of how long you can stand it for before you actually <laughs> start to feel sorry for your own ears and think, why am I putting myself through this? So everything's bad, as you said. Graphics, music, everything. Slow and ploddy. It's not very nice. And then on top of that, you've got that really stupid loading. No, thanks. No, thanks. They gave it 41%. I mean, come on. Just because it's, you know, it's Indiana Jones, maybe they gave it a little bit of... It should. This is easily in the 15s, 10 to 15%, maybe. It's just for the graphics. Some of those maybe are okay in that first bit, but awful. Not to mention the controls, as you said, in that first 
section, which are really slow. He's just like slow Indiana Jones. Indiana Sloans. He's so slow. <laughs> just slobbing about, plodding. It's, it's, you know, there's no urgency, there's no, but there's nobody there. I mean, considering this is a mind full of imprisoned children, there's nobody, there's one guard who keeps appearing and nobody. Yeah. So it's no wonder it's easy. I mean, if that, if that isn't a challenge for an adventure, he'd have gone in there and gone, this is a bit too simple. Where's all the, you know, I mean, the game is, the, sorry, the film is full of horror and there's a lot of horror around it. You don't have to put that in, but... Where's Pat Roach? Well... The trouble there is, of course. I mean, I'm not. We won't, let's not go into it too much detail. But he he blackfaced for that, didn't he? Which is horrific. I'm not. I'm not. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's, that's just you know, horrible. But thankfully, he's not in this game. Yeah. But it, but even the even the scale of the rock crushers, the spinning rock crushers, and the, and compared to the the size of you and the guards, are ridiculous. That's that's not going to crush a rock. It would barely crush a pebble. <laughs> like maybe if you got your toe stuck in it, it might hurt. Oh, they but... are the they are the rock crushers, aren't they? I thought they were travelators. Yeah, well, <laughs> there is they... some of those. Tra- I think the travelators in there. I think they're sort of um, what do you call them? Um, <laughs> conveyor belts. But yeah, but they're meant to be rock crushers. Them re- the big spinning things. But they're not. Oh, it doesn't. Why are we even debating it for? It's this stupid nonsense. It, and at yeah. full price, you're playing on people's like you know liking Indiana Jones. Going, oh, it's that arcade conversion. Yeah, let's play that. When they got that home, they were angry. <laughs> There's a lot yeah. of angry people going, why did I buy that stupid crap? Take it back to the shop. Yep. Get the magnets out. Awful. Rubbish. Never again. Never again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There we go. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Dote. <laughs> Good description, yeah. <laughs> That'll do for that. Let's move along to our next uh, licensed product. Graham, have you got any little picnic baskets to tell us about Yogi Bear? It's <laughs> <laughs> actually a pretty good impression of Yogi Bear. I'll give you that. Um, so this is Yogi Bear. This is um, it's difficult to ascertain exactly who was responsible for this, but it's from Piranha McMillan, and those are the people that did the Astonishing Adventures of Mister Weems and the She Vampires or Trapdoor. So it could be any variant of the people involved in this. I don't think it's the trapdoor guy because it would look different. But they did thingy as well, that um, rogue trooper as well, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's something to do with them. Yeah, they did. Um, there's quite a few. There's, they've got a bit of a. It's piranha. That's as much as I can tell you because I couldn't find a lot out, and it's not a lot given away in the game itself. This is uh, another licensed game based on another cartoon. This time it's Hanna Barbera's turn when they're classic, or some would say classic Yogi Bear. Now, I don't know if you know a lot about Hanna-Barbera and Yogi Bear and, and the lineage. Tell us, but Yo- tell us. I won't go into too much detail. Suffice to say that Yogi Bear was a character that came from, it was, a, it was an extension of a character that appeared in another cartoon, Huckleberry Hound, which was back in the, I think, I want to say mid-60s or early 60s. By the way, Hanna-Barbera, if you don't know much about them, that was t- basically two people. I think they, I can't remember the, the names, obviously Hanna and Barbera, but I'm not sure whether that was their real names or whatever, but two people. Ex-Warner animators um, who were mainly responsible for Tom and Jerry. They're basically did the very first ever Tom and Jerry cartoon before it was actually called Tom and Jerry. And then they worked almost exclusively on Tom and Jerry for many, many years and then decided to make the sort of jump to doing other things. So obviously then they went on a... Because they decided... they I identified pretty early on that there's a good market for cartoons and TV. You remember up to this point, seeing a cartoon was something you did in cinema. You didn't see it on TV. Hanna-Barbera changed that. And over the period of maybe 20 to 30, I think maybe 30, 40 actually years before they were bought out by Ted Turner and then it all sort of changed hands and all things started to go wrong. They had 80 to 85% of the cartoons on shown on television were Hanna-Barbera, which is Ooh. kind of incredible. That is incredible. And so loads of their characters that you will know of, many that you won't, they did loads and loads of shows. Obviously Yogi Bear and all of those ones. I mean, they, just Scooby-Doo, Flintstones, the Jetsons, 
Uh, that's just three off the top of my head. Never mind Yogi Bear, and there's tons of them. There's everything, you know. I think think of a cartoon that you probably saw around that time, and it'll probably be Hanna Barbera. So this is based on Yogi Bear, which was, as I said, a bear character that featured in Huckleberry Hound, and then got its own spin-off spin-off series. The cartoon is pretty much an extension of some of the ideas that they often did around that time, which was to take a character from a popular TV show, a real person, and make that into a sort of a character in a in a cartoon. So Flintstones was based on, I forget which American TV show, and you have to excuse my knowledge here, but these are all based on black and white American TV shows, and you can go and do your own extensive research. But if you get the idea around things like Top Cat and Flintstones and Jetsons, the main characters are all based on very popular people at that time who were in American TV. And Yogi Bear was no different. He was based on another character like that. So... This formula that they developed, which was kind of to have a main character and a sort of a humorous psychic and put them into silly situations that were easily repeated and week on week on week, is what led them to be very, very popular. Now, I don't think that Yogi ever reached reached the massive popularity that it had in the US. It was a huge cartoon in the US. I don't know if it ever really got that much penetration in the UK and Europe. I think partly because it was often deployed at strange times in the UK. There was never really a permanent time for Yogi Beer. It wasn't like it's Yogi time or anything like that. It was kind of either filtered into the 3.30 sort of nosebleed sh- slots around at the start, normally as fillers, actually, or sometimes shown towards the end of kids' TV around the 5.50 to 6 o'clock, you know, before the news slot. So sometimes you'd get the old Hanna-Barbera cartoon there, and you never really was assured that you were going to get a succession of Yogi Bear. Often not, it was a few top cats. You might get um, a couple of others anyway. So I never actually found Yogi Bear funny. I don't know if you ever did. In fact, I, I actually don't like it at all. I don't like the character uh, it's, it's, at all. It's, it's, it's okay. I, just not, I it's not funny. It. No, he's after a picnic baskets. And the main, mainstay of the show is that it, it, for me, it had canned laughter as well, which is a big no-no. It killed Scooby-Doo for me, that did. But this is basically the perpetual misgivings of a pair of talking bears in Jellystone Park who are permanently trying to steal picnic baskets from the people who go to the park and always being one step ahead of the park ranger Smith and sort of playing tricks on him and sort of getting one step ahead. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the mainstay of it. So it's not something that ever tickled my funny bone, but if you like that kind of thing, that's basically the cartoon. And the reason I mention all of that is because this game is heavily, heavily, obviously it's based upon that character, based upon that and a, and a sort of a situation, a situation. So in the game, Boo Boo, your sidekick character um, has been captured and caged at the other side of Jellystone Park. Your mission is to get him and rescue him. That's the, that's the, and in doing so, you have to basically scroll across, find certain objects and scroll across the screens and, and otherwise avoid enemies in a kind of a scrolling. And I, I would say jump, but he doesn't really jump or do much, does he? He's jumped a bit. I don't know what you'd call that. And we, we've talked about mighty bounds. I'm not sure what on earth you call it in this, but that's basically this game is to sort of run and, and in, run and try and rescue, they run across the levels. Uh, and there's not a lot more, lot, in my experience, not a lot more to it than that. There's certain things that get in your way and certain characters in there in the park will follow you around and obviously prevent you. And the idea is obviously to get there without encou- without encountering as many of them. And, and I didn't actually get that far in this because I kept getting, it's quite hard to do. And I kept getting sort of, you know, wiped out pretty quick. So the graphics in the game are actually, they, they aren't bad. I mean, it, Yogi Bear is a fairly simple character anyway. And it's built in that classic Hanna-Barbera tradition of these characters. He's one of a few Hanna-Barbera characters that have a collar. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason they have a collar is because it, it allows the animators to keep the body of the character relatively static. And then you only have to redraw the head, so which keeps the cost of the animation down. Remember, Hanna-Barbera was all about the costs. So it's one of their cost-cutting exercises, as well as their famous looping the background technique and things like that. So you kind of, you've got a lot, a lot of 
things you can get away with in a game like this, which would mean you could put more in it because you can repeat the backgrounds and you can do all of that. This does feature characters from the game and it does have situations that might present itself, sorry, from the tattoo, and it does feature present and present itself with situations that might appear otherwise in there. But none of it has any of the attraction because nothing funny happens. You're just doing kind of one thing over and over again in a kind of a dull stretch. So there's not a lot to it. You're not going to be side-splitting in laughter at any of the fun yogi stuff and jokes because none of those really happen. You, there's no mm-hmm. boo-boo in it, so it's only yogi. And boo-boo is the sidekick character sort of we're cr- cracking sort of pun one-liners or doing silly, the, saying the, silly it's phrases. The, it's the foil, isn't it? It's the, it's the foil, that's the name. I couldn't think the, of the it's word, It's the yes. droll, droll foil, isn't it? It's yeah, yes, yogi. exactly. But without that, you don't have that character, nor do you have any other characters really to interact with. Part Ranger Smith is in it, but only in the sense that they, they chase you about and if they get hold of you, you're done. But there's no funny one-liners. There's nothing like that. It's just, you know, it's the game starts in this kind of weird, bland view. And you start running across with the Yogi. And it does move pretty quick. And the, I say it does look like Yogi. The graphics do look cartoon-like. But there's just nothing else to it. The game is just blank. Yeah. It's like it's like they didn't think to put any more game in it. And it's, it's the exact same problem we had with other Hanna-Barbera cartoon games and licensed games, where they just, they get, they've got such, I mean, I'm no, no Yogi fan, but I can think of a million, even if you did this game like the other park, Park, what was that park game that we played where you're in the park and you have to collect the litter? Park Patrol. So even if you made a Park Patrol variant with Yogi, it would be better than this. And it wouldn't be that much difficult. It wouldn't be that much different, would it? But they didn't do any of that. So they just cre- can conjure this. The one thing about Yogi Bear as a character is that they, you have other characters with them. This is like taking, like they did with Thundercats. You take all of those characters and just make it about one character. What's the point? Yogi Bear without Boobery is pointless. So you spend the entire game without him. So, which means none of the jokes, none of the none of the stuff that you would normally have in there is going to work. There's nothing about it. It's just it could have been any character in there. It didn't have to be Yogi. And so, I didn't like this because I was on a back foot anyway. But it just felt like they just didn't know what to do with it. It's like they'd say, right, make a Yogi Bear game. They've gone, what's Yogi Bear about? It's oh, it's a bear in a Jellystone Park eats picnic baskets. Right, all right, okay. He's got a psychic called Boo Boo. All right, well, let's have him kidnapped and then just you know walk along picking up picnic, picnic baskets can be your energy or something. Mm-hmm. Anything else? No, no, so I'm busy, you know, I've got, I've got things to do. So just, Ooh, I'm in the basement. Just, just, just another £10 licensed game, another, you know, money stealing off people's better natures. Just, we've, you know, we, I thought we'd been over, I thought we'd got over the hump of the licensed game fiascos. And yet here we go. It's a triple, th- a quadruple hitter. <laughs> Four, six of them here. It's a Royal Rumble. We've just been, you know, they've been tagging each other and keep kicking us in the, in the cock and balls here. Awful. I hated this game. I don't like Yogi Bear in here, but I hate the fact that they've ruined what was left of Yogi Bear and made this abomination. I think it's it's a travesty. It's just terrible. These licensed games can just get lost for me. They're awful. I mean, did you like Yogi Bear the game? No, no, no. No, the, 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 it reminded me of that Flintstones game that we, yeah, that we played same way, basic way back. Yeah, same thing, wasn't it, actually? Same, yeah. same, came, same kind of thing. Nicely drawn sprites, but completely forgot about anything else. And like you rightly said, you know, this would be more interesting if it, it, they could have flipped this on his head and you could have played Ranger Smith with Yogi you know, trying yeah. to stop Yogi Ray, doing Road stuff style about, or something. Yeah, something like that. Or like you said, a park patrol where you, you've got to protect and collect the picnic baskets before Yogi nips in and gets them or something. It's something a bit more interesting. You know, flip yeah. it on its head, play Ranger Smith, give him a gun, shoot Yogi, you know, the dark version. <laughs> that would have been uh, maybe something. The problem with this is that the gameplay is really simple. It's really yeah, simple. You just too walk simple. To the, you walk to the right and jump. But so it's, it's it feels like it's aimed at kids, except it's really difficult because any error, any pixel error, you're right back to the start. And that's maddening. It's absolutely maddening. 
I meant to say, actually, the collision detection's ferocious in this. Yeah, it's really bad. There's weird... Jumping over those little pond river things. I'm like, ay! Yeah, you've got to find apples, haven't you, or something, that give you the code to get across the stepping stones. That's how you solve the puzzle at the end or something. And you can warp about the park. You find these caves, and you can warp through them that take you closer to Boo Boo. But there's no point, because you skip the apples. So... It makes no yeah, logically yeah. no sense unless I, I guess what you know if you know the code then it doesn't really matter does it it's never changed or maybe it does I don't know the graphics like you said they're okay Yogi is really recognisable but second time this episode like we saw in Thund- the opening level Thundercats the background borrows from the book of Coldplay because uh, there's a lot of yellow um, it was very yellow wasn't it? <laughs> it was all yellow at the bottom it was all yellow and just a big bludgy green for the distance they're, they're, oh, the other sprites background are okay I don't know I don't know don't know don't care about this the game's frustrating and illogical at one point I pressed fire against a t- what looked like a tent I think or something I turned into a small bush or something like yeah what, there was what? some bugs in it I think what is that am I, am I disguised am I dis- oh, I don't know I can't abide games that punish you with pixel perfect jumps and turn you back to the beginning to do them all again no. I'm not games like this anyway like no, i said no, I, no. I, 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 I lasted about three minutes in this maybe a little more but not much i think i've spent more time talking about it than playing it um, yeah actually n- nogi bear there you go yeah yeah just yeah. no 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 this was a really no. bad game and i didn't like it because of it. it's, it's just boring and it's, it's all it's all spit and polish and nothing yeah, under nothing. the hood absolutely empty yeah there you go another quality license title <laughs> on a bike Goodness let's move me. on we've got one more and then we'll go for we'll go for a break and have some music Our last one in this section is Action Force. Action Force. Action Force. Action Force. Uh, this is another £10. I, I don't know anything about Action Force. Nothing. So I'm just going to go by what Wikipedia has told me because I don't know anything about them. Um, so Action Force is a brand of European action figures that was released in the 1980s that was based on the Action Man toy line. Um, it was also used to introduce G.I. Joe, a real American hero toys to European market. I don't remember any of that. I remember Action Man, but I, I really have no real memory of Action Force. I think I kind of remember the uh, the, the adverts. Beyond that, I mean, I don't think... Did G.I. Joe ever take off over here? I don't know. It wasn't really anything for me. Um, unfortunately, what we have here is another frustrating and dull toy to game affair meeting our eyes. I mean, it, it looks nice. It's got solid visuals um, from the ever-reliant Ian Matthias. We've seen him in numerous games. There's any, uh, um, doing many decent graphics, so that's quite good. And it's got good coding. I mean, it's well-coded. This is by, uh, it's by Dave Chapman, uh, who will go on to do uh, Dan Dare 2. Um, but the gameplay is just kind of constantly being bothered by flies type of affair while you're being tasked with doing something else. And that just, just stop it. We said this all the way back. In episode four, I think it was, where we talked about Entombed and the notion that if you want me to do something, stop bothering me constantly because I don't like it. So that was always problematical. You know, anyway, there's a plot for this. It sees the small island of Botsnader and it's been attacked by the evil forces of Cobra. Cobra. Special documents have been left behind and these need to be recovered by Action Force. The game sees you piloting a helicopter, as noted, as you try and protect an AWE all weather and environment buggy and all cars okay. <laughs> <laughs> most cars if my car only went out i could only go out in the sun <laughs> see this is why you don't work for the q department <laughs> so this this car you built is it good in all weather ah oh, don't no no no, no if it <laughs> dissolves in the rain this one sorry about that <laughs> sorry made we of made soap it, well we, we made it from pure sponge so it gets really heavy 
when it rains. The drag is terrible. So, so this AWE buggy has retrieved the documents, and you, you were basically you got to you got to protect it by piling it in this helicopter. So you do this by, as I said, shooting down copious amounts of enemies, and you've also got to pick up bridge parts. You've got to land on these bridge parts, press fire, and it kind of picks up these bridge parts, and you've got to place them in the environment. It gaps in the environment because the AW buggy just trundles along. So you've got to basically build bridges for the AWEs. It trundles along. There's also towers in the way. You have to shoot them out of the way. And that's that's basically this game. The AWE will trundle along until it gets to the end of the level. You move to the next one. There's similar problems to be done. But all the time, there's just enemies. You can fly into certain parts of the environment as well, which are very annoying because it's not really easy to track in 2D depth because it's just a 2D side-on shooter. So it's a bi-directional sort of you know choplifter style view affair but there's stuff in the foreground the stuff in the background and the stuff in the middle ground and you can crash into stuff in the middle ground if you fly into it you only have one life so once you die that's it game over um and that's it really that's this game and that's it there's not much to it there is mileage in dealing with the environment to ensure that your lemming like remember that <laughs> word jeep survives as it moves along but like we saw in the other one we saw the other week uh rebel remember the top-down tank one yep where you were the tank trying to line up the mirrors for the laser they simply cannot trust enough in their game design and must fill it with never-ending enemies to bother and annoy you and all this leads to is a game that is neither one thing or the other there's not enough depth to the puzzling and dealing with the environment and the shooting is boring and redundant and thus you're left with two things neither of which amount to a decent game as neither offers any kind of fulfilling challenge one's not enough and one's too much and it's boring and dull it's also odd, that, uh, odd, it's really odd that should the Jeep die, the buggy, it's not game over. The world just goes to black. Did you notice that? It's weird. <laughs> yeah. You just have to keep flying around in blackness. Like, what, what's happened? Is it, is it some existential message? I wish Bug. these games would concentrate on the more interesting side of the design more on the boring and endless shooting parts. It's not long before we get lemmings. What's that, yeah. three or four years? And I know that's on the Amiga and stuff, but there's, if you trust in the player to, if you give them enough in the puzzly part, you don't need shooting. You don't need it. It's annoying. And and, and it, it annoys the crap out of me when I play these games. And you can see the kernel of a decent little idea. Because essentially what you're doing is is lemmings. The, the basic part where you're building the environment and allowing a, a, a constantly moving object to get to the end by solving problems in front of it, that's lemmings. It you is. Know, it, and, and so we know that lemmings will work. It's just at this point in time, they're kind of building these things, but they just don't have the courage. Someone somewhere has gone, there's no shooting in it. It's action force. Where's the action? Well, it's this really cool little puzzle game, but it's action force, not puzzle force. In which case then, concentrate on the shooter, shooting. Make this pure blasting action, which would probably be better if it just focused on that and take away the puzzle stuff. As it is, you're left with a game that looks nice, coded smoothly everything works as it should and everything you know looks the part and everything but just doesn't have enough of a hook in either gameplay camp to really draw you in and that's what i thought to action force what about you yeah bit dull wasn't it yeah i think the tragedy here is that this is nothing to do with action force i don't it's like i said at the beginning i don't really i don't know affiliation with action force well, i don't know anything about action them. force figures were actually basically they were kind of an offshoot of uh action man yeah yeah so yeah. so because they were like a miniature version of action Man, they were actually a, a way of getting some of the american style figures into the uk uk and the Europe market so mm. they were basically a, a they were a way of trying to strong arm gi joe into the uk but there were some really cool action figures that they made. Some of the because they were smaller in stature, they're about the size of Star Wars figures. But they came with some really cool little extra bits, like the weapons they came they got get with. I remember I remember being quite excited. I remember getting a few for Christmas around maybe nineteen eighty two, eighty three. Might have been around there. 
And I remember getting like a commando, a British commando soldier and an SAS officer. And I was particularly, everyone was enthralled with the SAS. They were like this mythical force of yeah, British super. Yeah, because of the uh, yeah. Iranian embassy. Uh, yeah, totally. And, and, and you know, and all, in all fairness, they still are an amazing kind of thing. So and I remember getting this SAS figure and, and it just it held its weapon in kind of a really cool way. It wasn't, they weren't like, they weren't superposable like action men or anything like that, but they were just kind of cool. So there's a lot, even if you just made it about those things, there's actually, in actuality, I was thinking about this. The game that most resembles the Action Force figures is Strike Force Cobra, which we played some time ago. Yeah. Those are yeah. actually more like a, an Action Force game. That is actually a lot more like an Action Force game in every respect. This, well, flying around, shooting, refueling, rearming, helping the buggy by lifting and building the little bridge parts and doing that, all in that stupidly hard way with lots of things flying at you all the time in that most horrible way, lots of brown. The commitment to medium res in this game is not something I've seen since Sanction. <laughs> that, that is commitment to medium res. You know, you're making medium res helicopters and it, they, they didn't look bad. They're not terrible. No, I thought the and graphics it, were nice in this. Yeah, yeah, and it moves all right. And, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with the way it does it. It's just nothing to do with Action Force other than everything the name Action Force on it with that stupid screen where the Action Force scrolls across like a crap demo. Um, so the enemies are all right. Your sprite's okay. The controls are okay. It's just not very interesting all said and done for the exact reasons you specify because you're just continuously worrying about being hit by things in the air and not really giving much challenge of the very thing you're actually meant to be doing. And because it doesn't know whether it's one thing or the other, you're left with the classic situation of it not being any good at either. So ouch was my response there. I liked action force figures. I still do like them in their own little way. Um, I quite like that idea of them being a kind of an offshoot and they're a European equivalent of something. They're quite, they were quite cool, quite collectible now. I think some of them as well, especially some of the rarer ones. Um, so it's a bit of an interesting quirk in terms of its license. There's nothing to do with the game. From a people that could do a lot better and probably were a bit railroaded with this, they, I suppose they did what they could, but they didn't commit. And because they didn't commit, the game is wishy-washy. And mm. then it just becomes not very good overall. And I didn't have a lot of fun playing it because I, I just got annoyed with having to do all the little bits that none of them really felt very, you know, other than shooting things out the air continuously. And like, how many, you know what, these things are expensive pieces of hardware. How, what kind of military is that kind of money? <laughs> You know, where they could just, you know, throw a thousand helicopters and just go, oh, never mind, just get a thousand more. So these are, you know, these expensive items now. It's just a bit of budgetary constraint here. Come on. I know, absolutely. Well, Cobra don't care about budgetary constraints. It has all the money in the world. Well, yeah, I guess that. And, and but, you know, for the sake of this being an action force game and having that, you may as well, may as well not have been. This is kind of a weird choplifter type thing, really, isn't it? But anyway. Yeah. No, it's not, it's not very good. And it's 60% generous licensed and for a full price game. That's quite generous. I think for this, I, I think so as well. Yeah. There we go. That's action force. That's it. That's our six games. Our six license, our license treat. We've been licensed to kill and all them, I think, but there you go. That's uh, six games. Let's go away because I think we need a bit of a break. Um, And when we come back, should we look at music for December, 1987? I think we have to. I think, I think we should see, seen as which, Next up in the agenda. Um, Otherwise, it's going to be a real short show. (laughs) Yes. All right. Let's do that then. We'll see you in a bit. The novel Escape from the Commodore 64 by David Hearn is out now. Growing up in the 80s is a chore for Sarah, who feels misunderstood by her parents and badgered by Reese, her bothersome brother who incessantly prattles on about his treasured computer games. When Reese tells her one of the games tried to pull him inside the computer, she laughs off his fanciful fib. She waggles the joystick to disprove his fairy tale and is pulled into the computer. Now trapped in games she'd never had any interest in playing, how can she possibly beat them? 
With the help of Feisty Nell, another trapped player, can Sarah find her way back home or is it game over? An evil madman, a hostile planet, bloodthirsty robots, a never-ending throng of karate experts, and relentless digital soldiers will do their best to ensure Sarah never escapes. Available from Amazon and all good online retailers, find out if there's a way out of the beige bread bin of betrayal for Sarah in Escape from the Commodore 64. All right, and we're back. Let's get into music in December 1987. The last music for 1987. The last, the last this is one. it. It's all, it's all about Christmas. It's all, all about to play the, for. It's all about the lead up to uh, that Christmas number one, maybe. Let's see what mm. it was. Uh, number one singles. Let's start with them as ever. At number one for the first week, uh, still hanging around, as you rightly noted, China in Your Hand by yep. Tapao. There it is. Just hanging around. Just Don't hanging around. Yeah. Um, I've noted that it notes me that the title of the song is like an alternative proverb, but I'm curious to what you think a China in your hand would be worth. Um, I think about 18 quid. <laughs> Not like a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't know what that equates to. China in your hand is worth 18 quid. I just, for some reason, I thought, I thought of China vase. So I just thought it'd be like a vase. <laughs> no, it's like a, like a bird in your hand. China in your hand. I don't know. China's not a bird. China's a place. <laughs> I know, but it's like the proverb. What proverb? A, a what are you talking about, you crazy? In the bush. What's that got to do with China? Just nothing. <laughs> Just the same <laughs> phrase, in your no, hand. No, it isn't. No one says the China in your hand is worth two of anything. That's why I said you, it sounds like an alternative proverb. You just keep up 007. The, stop, stop listening to China in your hand. It's a fix in your mind. <laughs> it really has. Uh, for the last three <laughs> weeks, though, of December and Christmas number one, he was always on my mind by the Pet Shop Boys. It surprised me that this was Christmas number one, actually, till I read it. But um, I don't like this song at all. I hate it, in fact. I like the song. I don't like this version of it. I see. I, I, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Unless yeah. you already know it, I'm deaf. I was for yeah, two you weeks. You must be. To like, I mean, I like the Elvis version of that because it's, it's got emotion in it. It isn't sung by a wasp, which always on my mind by the Pet Shop Boys is. <laughs> You're always on my mind. Uh, this, this, uh, I Awful. Think, I, Maybe I, think I couldn't. Ugh. Yeah, I think they're a deadpan and we capture something in the song. Yeah, nothing. Nothing good. Yeah, anyway, but let, we'll have to agree to disagree. Yeah, we will. Um, there's only one number one album. Well, we knew what that would be last month. It was. It's uh, Now that's what I call Music 10. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah, all month. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's obvious. The, it's the perfect Christmas present, isn't it? We've said this exactly. every year. Exactly. We cut and paste what we said at 1986, number one for December. Every, every single year. And I'm I sure mean, when we do just, get to December um, it 1988, be. it'll yep. be now that's what I call Music 13. Yep, without a doubt. Probably. Without a doubt. Yeah. All right. Not a lot to say about that. Let's get into singles. Uh, 6th of December, number two, straight in at number two was When I Fall in Love by Rick Astley. I call shenanigans. Why? shenanigans on this song because uh the version re released by rick astley was released in november the 30th 1987 a clear ploy um to get to number christmas number one by our friends stock aiken and Wartman. and um, this coincided with the 30th anniversary of the release of nat king cole's version so it's the nat king cole version i don't know that's a bit of a beloved song nat king cole's version of this yeah. anyway in love. So this this single is mainly remembered for a closely fought contest for uk christmas number one rivals emi hoping to see their act, Pet Shop Boys, reach number one with Always On My Mind, 
re-released the version by Nat King Cole at that exact time. Oh, this clever. To, That's clever. This led, it is. It led to a slowdown of purchases of Recastly's version, allowing the Pet Shop Boys to sneak right in there and get the top spot. Well played, but dastardly. Yeah, and Muttley. <laughs> and Muttley, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's really, yeah, I applaud that. That's quite clever. If you're going to go into chess with music at Christmas, don't <laughs> don't play it with EMI. They know what they're doing. Absolutely. They've got, the, they've got the back catalogue to crush you. Absolutely, they've got seven queens. <laughs> you're going to release When I Fall In Love? Ha! Here's Nat King Cole's version. Shut up, Brick. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up and go away. Yeah. I'm surprised that nobody released... Elvis's version of Always On My Mind to counter them. Well, they didn't need to, did they? They just needed to. If, it, if Rick Astley had released, you know, that song then maybe, but they wanted the Pet Shop Boys to be number one. Yeah, so. but I mean, I wonder who owns the rights to Always On My Mind. And uh, Good question, actually. It was, it's actually an old song than Elvis. Elvis sang it, but he wasn't the person that wrote it. So it's, it, went, it came around as a country and western song way before that. Oh, I, so, don't know. I don't know. You'd need to do a bit more research than I've done for that. Uh, okay. Number four, Always On My Mind by Pet Shop Boys. That's where it went in at before it went to number one. It is. It is. Um, we've talked about that. I like it because I'm deaf. Fair enough. Partially deaf. Partially deaf. Suddenly, re- suddenly remembered, yeah. <laughs> I got it fixed, by the way. I'm not partially <laughs> deaf anymore. It's all fixed. It's all good. It's all good in my it's all good, ears. It? It's all good now. Uh, number 15, The Look of Love by Mad On Her. Mad, uh, Madonna. Madonna. Uh, another track from the movie, Who's That Girl? <laughs> Where's Madonna? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember uh, this song at all? No, I didn't. <laughs> no, the only one I is it, is it a cover of the a, is it ABC? Did it Look of Love? No, it's not. It's its own thing. And it's the look, but it's completely, the look. <laughs> it, it would have been better if it had been that. I'd love to have heard Madonna's version of that. It's totally forgettable from a very forgettable film because I couldn't honestly tell you anything about who's that girl. The film? No, it's not no. very good. It's really not. No. I've, I've seen it, but no, it's not very good. Uh, as you've right noted, they should have called it What's That Film. Yeah, because yeah, I can't remember it at all. <laughs> no one can. Even <laughs> even even Mad on Her can't. It's been um, erased. Uh, at number 42, Children Say by level 42. How apt in at 42? Uh, I think that's a couple of times that's happened with them. I'm sensing a great tremor in the force. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say his name, though. No. There's an error in the Matrix or something. Yeah, there probably is. What's this you've written? Children say that if you say the glonk five times in a mirror, Mark King will appear you and crush you to death with one thunk of his thumb. Yes. Um, and some true facts. His <laughs> thumb is insured for three million pounds, making it the world's ninth most valuable appendage. Is that true? That is true. That's a true fact, yeah. <laughs> um, and in the mercifully short Shanklin <laughs> Thumb War on the Isle of Wight in 1977, <laughs> where Mark King's from, Mark King's dedication and thumb bravery led him to receive the Golden Thumb Medallion after he rescued an entire battalion of thumb troopers by digging a nine-metre trench in 45 <laughs> seconds with just his thumbs. Now, that's thummy. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. We can't verify those facts, but some of them <laughs> may be true or may not be. We don't know. But, but in the end, aren't all facts based on an int- a non-truth that we don't understand? We don't know. I wrote that in an essay once. <laughs> I got an F. <laughs> oh, with did the, you? With the, with the answer, no. <laughs> no. Uh, number 43, Heaven is a Place on Earth by Belinda Carlisle. Yes. Um, interesting, know, actually. Is that. this really the you, give love, you Gave Love a Bad Name Bon Jovi chords? It is, if you think about it. So, if you, um, ooh, heaven is a place. Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. Oh, shut to the heart and you're too. It's the exact same chord pattern. If you listen to it. Uh, yeah, probably. So Whatever much it is, so it's, that, a, um, it's a great song. It, it is a good song. Don't get me wrong. Um, Orbital famously 
mix the two songs together in the live performance of Halcyon, and which we'll put the link to in the show notes. And at three minutes 44 in that particular link, that's where they mix the two together, famously mixed the two together live during that. So you can so see there's no mistake in it. All oh, right, okay. Um, so it's quite good. But, well, uh, yeah, they're, it is. they're both, they're good both song, great though. songs because they, yeah, you know, that chord like pattern it. obviously like worked. It. But I, I really like that Heaven's a Place on Earth. It's a, just a cracking 80s rock tune. It's good off a good album, which we'll come to later, actually. But. It is, yes. Um, number 55, he, There's the Girl by Heart. Oh, I didn't like this. Did you like it? No, I didn't. No. Uh, I thought it was just shit. This song really <laughs> shit. <laughs> it's, it's not good, is it? Um, no. As you've noted, there's loads of uh, Egyptian iconography in the video for no reason. <laughs> I mean, did they walk on the bangles music video at some point when well, they were doing what, like an Egyptian and go, can we borrow your Egyptian <laughs> stuff? Probably. Yeah, okay. It, it looks like it. it was shot at the same time as These Dreams. Yes. Um, if you ever watch the These Dreams video, it looks very similar because there's a bit in the These Dreams where there's loads of hands reaching up through a grid and there's a, you know, a thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it has there's a small sort of pond you know, in the studio where they are and that kind of look. It's, it's, it's almost the same bloody video, but they're on different albums. Yeah. I think, it, I think maybe they just like it. Maybe there's just it was a one video set where they all went to shoot the videos and they're like, Go in that corner. That's the Egyptian corner. Yeah, and shoot that's the, over there. That's your heart, heart area. Um, it's also sung by um, Nancy, isn't it? Not yeah, Andy, the guitar. Is the guitarist? Yeah, it's yes. not the yeah. So she's the guitarist. Was it yeah. the first time she did that? I think, or one of the first times I'd, she did it. I'd, I don't know. I'd probably. I'd, I don't know. I mean, I know Andy it's not bad. Singer. Not bad singing. It's just not a great song. Um, no. and the drum kit in the video is is beyond explanation. <laughs> It's no way to play them all at that angle. It's just weird. I don't quite know what it, what it is. It's, there's a giant tube connecting at one point. What <laughs> is that, that for? It needs to be that creature out of uh, Mortal Kombat with all those arms to play that. <laughs> it, would, it would. And my, my final Goro thought on this was this song is just a bland cake, like a Madeira or a plain sponge, <laughs> like the bass layer only, just dull and uninteresting and needing more sprinkles or icing. Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a good description of this song. It yeah. ain't very good. Um, still there, number 58. Oh, no, actually, this is the single. We had the album, didn't we? And number 58 yeah. is The Tunnel of Love by Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, we talked uh, about it, didn't we, where he's not actually in a tunnel during the video. Yeah, he's in a house, which, you know, yeah. strange. Trapped. So, yeah, he can't get out. I, 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 someone should arrange a rescue pack for him. It's that a charity single, Help Out the Boss. Help Out the Boss. We'll get him out of that house. Yeah. <laughs> Can you help out the boss? <laughs> It'll be a great loss. So, that would that would be the level of songwriting as well that went into that. It's better than our next one though. Number sixty two. Mm. Yeah, this is a cover shocking. of All Right Now by Pepsi and Shirley. What were they thinking? I don't know. Um I'll just say that I thought the video looked like it was filmed on the set of Top of the Pops. I think, I think it looked it did look exactly like that, didn't it? It was yes. like very much that you know, very a small stage in a TV back lot somewhere. It wasn't expensive looking. No. And, um, yeah. and I put whoever thought this was a good idea needs a good telling off. Um, that <laughs> yes. made to wear really tight, small <laughs> shoes until they get really painful blisters. It's god awful. And a slap across the face for free. But they, I suppose they must have given it the okay. I don't think they could have heard it before they said that. Like, can we cover your song? Yeah, who are you, Pepsi <laughs> Shelley? You're going to do a good job. Oh yeah, all right. Since, since you said you're going to do a good, you're going to do a good job. We'll trust you on your word. So it's awful. Yeah. This is a bad cake. This is like a fruit cake that wasn't sealed <laughs> properly with a decent crumb coat and went off in the cupboard. I'm sensing a, a cake-based theme that's <laughs> appearing through these uh, this analysis. Yes, um, yes. I was just thinking about what kind of cakes these things were. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a bad thing. I, I did laugh as well at the attempt to metal them up in the video oh, with all that leather jackets and stuff. It's embarrassing. And the the the, the band behind them. Oh, it was, it was 
really bad. Jeez. Uh, number 63, Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC. Yeah, Christmas uh, rap. Yeah, oh crap. No, rap. Yeah. Yeah, who, who knows? Number 67, ESP by the Bee Gees. Yeah, the is original title of the song was, It is, yeah. The original title of the song is was XTC or Ecstasy before the Gibbs realised that it sounded like a drug reference, so they changed it to ESP. So but there was fact. a band called XTC, wasn't there? Back a punk band. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, that's not the Bee Gees way. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Yeah, and the uh, and the commandments of the Bee Gees, it's that shall not make drug references. So. <laughs> there it no, is. Not if you want to stay alive. <laughs> the um, Ten Commandments. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wonder what the other nine are. Let's not know. do it. No, <laughs> Number no, 84, no. Tubbs and Valerie uh, by Jan Hammer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, massive milk. It was awful, Miami. this. Yeah. F- filled up massive tubs with all the milking of the Miami Vice teat. Ew. <laughs> Dark, horrible thing that it would be. It was horrible, that song. Rubbish yeah. song. Music, rubbish. No, it's not good. Uh, number no. 89 is I Dream of Christmas by Anita God, Dobson. Bring, bring back Jan Hammer. This was absolutely <laughs> awful. This was awful. It's out of tune. I mean, she's, she's a singing I is did, I really didn't bad in this. I had enough with that last bloody one, that wartime <laughs> effort where it suddenly became whatever, the miming, and so, um, that was done. It starts with kind of a, a howling Christmas sound. Like the sort of the What's sort of howling uh, Christmas sound, well, like a Christmas, a call, so kind of a keyboard in G, keyboard played choral Christmas sound. You know the sort of thing. You, uh, it's kind of haunting, and then it descends into this song that she sings with really, really bad lyrics. I've got some of them here. I sit alone by the fireside and watch the old year passing by. Down the street, they're singing party songs. You know, Christmas always makes me cry. So, <laughs> and so tonight, my thoughts are reaching out. Though you're a million miles away, my dream is strong enough to see me through our loves forever and a day. I'm not going to bore you with any more lyrics, but I just want to explore <laughs> the geography of that statement she makes. Because uh, if if this is just a thought I had, if she's based in London, if you, if her lover person that she's <laughs> lamenting in this song was a million miles away, where would they be? So it's only nine and a half mil, uh, nine and a half thousand miles to Australia. <laughs> So clearly they're much further away than that. And assuming that they're not just circuit, you can't just go round and round and round the earth until you no. stop. So where would they be? The moon is 238,855 miles away from the earth. So that's, that's a quarter of a million miles. So it's further away than the moon. But Venus is 38 million miles from earth and Mars is 33.9 million miles. So they're just <laughs> lost in space somewhere between the moon <laughs> and Venus or, or Mars, which kind of places the whole thing in a bit of a pointless way. So <laughs> Maybe she fell in love with an astronaut who got lost in space. <laughs> Exactly. But no mention of of that. No mention of that kind of sci-fi route in this lyrics. That's why Christmas always makes her cry because the the mission went wrong at Christmas. So it's that (laughs) that horrendous Christmas mission to the moon which went badly wrong. Like I say, if you're going to write lyrics and throw in arbitrary geographic statements like that, you better be able to substantiate those claims with real, you know, real (laughs) distance-based logic. Don't go throwing a million miles into a song when it's, when if he's only in, you know, Newcastle, yeah, it's just a, it's a, you know, it's a two or three hour train journey. So you may be, you know, a couple of, couple of hundred miles tops. <laughs> you could be there, you could be there in a couple of hours, get a car, Exactly. Drive. You're never you know. that far from anyone really on the earth when you realise the distances like that, are you? So. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> Number 96. Oh, sorry, sorry, Anita, to pop your geographic <laughs> bubble. No, it needs doing. You know, it we're does. here to, we're here to sort this shit out. <laughs> Go um, level that playing field. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we, we can't have this. No. no, the eighties no. got away with a lot, and we're not having it anymore. No, um, number nine, <laughs> the equaliser is busy equalising by Stuart Copeland. <laughs> this is hard, wasn't it? Yes, it, I don't know why. Why not just call it the equaliser theme? 
Because why, 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 why put the phrase busy equalising on it? <laughs> what does that... I reckon because he's playing football um, and they're 2-1 well, down with three, with three minutes left to go. <laughs> it could be that. Yeah. And, like, it's just, it's just popped up. With, they're, they're brought on Woodward. He's gone forward. He's right up. Oh, he's headed it. Top corner. <laughs> Edward Woodward equalises in the last minute. <laughs> that's a good job we call him the equaliser because that's why they brought him on. <laughs> that's his nickname. Edward Equaliser Woodward. <laughs> I mean, it's just the idea is, and that ruins the show if you think about it. Because is this, you know, in the show is this kind of secret agent, ex-secret agent guy taking yeah. on and equalizing the rights, and this is just busy equalizing. What do you do for a living? Oh, I just equalize stuff. I'm an equalizer. I go around. I go into music studios and just balance their audio. Absolutely. I go. I go I into shops and make sure everything's stacked to the same height. <laughs> <laughs> Need that equal equalize that so, shit. The the only you know the only interesting vibe I picked up from this was how that's that music sounded like it could have come from an eighties arcade game made by you know like a fighting game in in yes, that sort of sense it, of final yeah. fight style. And yeah, that is interesting because maybe that's a lineage there. I don't know, but that's maybe for other people to I mean, figure out. A lot of that. I mean, it led me down the sort of realization that I never really liked that music on the Mega Drive. That I heard. Yeah. I, I, didn't, I wasn't a big Mega Drive music fan. I know a lot of people are, but that kind of sample heavy stuff that was drove that lot of sixteen bit stuff was never for me. Well, it's, um, it's driven by a very specific sound chip. And a, well, and, you put um, yeah, must um, be correct. I, I do really like the Outrun music, but that doesn't sound the same as those later sort of nineties. I mean, Outrun was about eighty five. Yeah, I think eighty five, eighty six is a different style to Outrun. It's that, that jazzy. Of, I mean, do 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 do, and it's also got a nice tune. It doesn't sound a, like that. I listen to that final fight one. It's like it's all that. Yeah, it's that. It's that kind of it, that very limited sound sort of style isn't it yeah, i don't know it's a little bit sample um, it, well it, there's only two i think on that particular chip there's only two channels of samples the rest are kind of hardware sort of sounds mm. so there's like a you know a fixed range of mega drive sounds you, you need an expert on it of which i'm not and we do know one and maybe we'll ask them or we'll look in the book you know the sound yeah. chip book but, but other uh, than that you know, some a, later stage maybe from but, a personal yeah. perspective I, it was never i think just because i was so used to sid music and sid, yeah. sid tunes have that that whine that you know that, that noise that the Sid makes and it's not samples so yeah yeah which is why I don't like a lot of the later pieces of music when Hubbard and stuff get into the sample heavy stuff mm, yeah there is that argument mm-hmm, there is number 100 stutter rap <laughs> no sleep till bedtime by Maurice Minor and the Majors <laughs> uh, let the novelty rap commence <laughs> I know however to be fair I did listen to this and as pastiches yes, go obviously of the as of the Beastie Boys this is this is really bang on the money I mean, okay, the subject matter these days, like Weird Al Yankovic is fat. It's not aged particularly well, but the, some of the lyrics are, are good though, and still, still yeah. did actually make me chuckle. I think the line, you know, when you're no 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 thirteen, is just a clever, <laughs> clever line. Obviously, yeah, there's yeah. moments in it. I mean, and, the guy that did it is um, he's he's quite a famous comedian. He was on um, things like um, yeah, Have I Got Tony, News for You? Tony and, Mortimer is it? Tony, yeah, he's and, in Red um, Dwarf and stuff, isn't he? So he's, yeah, yeah, he's, 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 done, he's done quite a lot of stuff. It, I, I get it. It's it's a product of the eighties, and you know they would never release this now. You couldn't. I get it, but no, you'd all be cancelled before you even <laughs> yeah, left, absolutely. left. But left there the are room. parts of it that just just tickle my funny yeah, bone for some reason. Yeah, no, that's all good. Uh, right, thirteenth of December. In at number 25 was Touched by the Hand of God. An odd New song. Order. Odd, odd song, that. It's not, I didn't particularly like this. No, I don't. I didn't really like anything about it, and the video was just weird. Yeah, really weird. weird. Um, no. Directed by Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, which is odd. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, you would, we watched, did you watch, I presume you watched it. I watched it. Yeah, it's just, absolutely. They're, they're dressed up like a glam metal rock band, aren't they? Yeah, it's a whole Mickey take of that kind of, you know, hair metal type video and, and quite a good one if you buy into it. But, you know, it's just, I just thought, why? What's it? What's, you know, what, what why? I don't know. It doesn't seem I to go with the it. song at all. No, it doesn't. I think it's even used in a film, but not anything to do with, not any films to do with Catherine Bigelow. So. No, and as, as you've noted, yeah. Remy Garner and Bill Paxton, um, pop up there mm. in the video you know late, yeah. later on in it but um i can only notice the the, the look of it especially late of it bill paxton catherine bigelow you know, mm. this must be straight off the set of near dark they must have just been in the same well, know, just, bar they, or something they've just done near dark together aren't they yeah no but what new order hadn't no i don't know how they got involved <laughs> maybe they just like near dark and went and got them i yeah, don't know maybe. who knows really uh, number 34 last night i dreamt that somebody loved me by the smiths yeah keep dreaming you unlikable arsehole <laughs> my comment to that <laughs> that's, that's all you need to say um <laughs> number 60 on the turning away by pink floyd I, I quite like this this track um it's quite an interesting one off momentary lapse of reason and uh, noted for being one of pink floyd's rhythmically most complex songs constantly alternating between various time signatures that can be annoying but uh, that's why i, I thought it was it. quite nice and which is odd because you're a rush fan and they do that I all do, the time but, they do, but i found this yeah but there's a this time signature changes and the time signature changes it's like the iron maiden you know paradox yeah. um i thought this was quite morose the time changes just make it sound like things are coming in too soon or out of time I can't, you know, like, oh, so it was. Nah, noodly solo as well. Yeah, okay. It's also earnest and not in a Borgnine way. And I'm not happy no, about that. I just, I quite, I just quite like the vibe of that. Um, when, when Pink Floyd do tracks like that, a bit like Comfortably Norman's tracks like that, I find them genuinely quite interesting to listen to. I find it. And I'd rather that than some of their other stuff. So, yeah, I think you know, I've just it, I just never got on with Pink Floyd. No, well, I'm I'm the same, and I couldn't tell you that I like any full album. Well, maybe Shine On, but generally speaking, there's always turning points for me where I think, oh, I've just had a bit, I've had enough. Um, <laughs> exactly. Just the wall, I had to listen to like, the Division oh, had enough. so often when I lived with Gary, um, a friend, do, of the, he... friend of the podcast, and he got it that year, I was living with him, and he played it constantly. Well, his, his doorbell is that album, that full album. <laughs> so if you press his doorbell on his house, you're going to be there for an hour. He comes out and slices the bell in two in front of you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's really annoying. So I just, oh, I just want to came around, see if I could borrow a cup of sugar. Stop slicing bells. <laughs> a cup of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, at number 68, well, I mean, I would probably prefer to listen to On the Turning Away than what was at number 68 because it's True yeah, Devotion yeah, yeah. by Samantha Fox. This, this, um, this actually shocked me. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I played this to my partner because she really likes Drive by the Cars. I, I thought you were going to say True Devotion by Sam <laughs> no, Fox. I said, oh, I said, listen to this. What does this sound like? She went, That's Drive by the Cars, isn't it? I went, no, it's not. It's Sam Fox. She walked yeah. off in disgust. <laughs> oh, Terrible. It was awful. Um, yeah. Hints of Berlin and Take My Breath Away in there as well. Not good hints. Not good hints at all. You know, bad <laughs> no, the, hints. The bad hints. <laughs> all the bad stuff. Um, the I, was bad. Just, I, I was actually surprised at how much of a ripoff it actually was and how they got away with it because... I'm pretty sure. I'm, I mean, I'm he's reasonably sure. I mean, YouTube must be have a particularly good um, engine for detecting which song is which. Because if you played that, I'm surprised they haven't been copyright struck by you know whoever owns the license for Drive by the Cars. Cars, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah awful. I don't, I don't know. Awful. Um, and a bad um, video as well with a huge microphone <laughs> that covers up most of her face. And the whole point of her being in the video is she's meant to be a model, isn't she? So yeah, putting a microphone in there is not the best. No, it's really no. obtusely positioned. It's always in the way, permanently. I know. I reckon <laughs> that, that video was sponsored by the microphone maker. Well, just, you know, don't... It's just a word of advice again, and I'm just going to say this. 
If you're going to shoot a close-up of your model singer, don't use a really low f-stop and then put a microphone in front of it because you're only going, really going to see is most of that microphone. <laughs> just, you just, know, saying. just saying. Just saying. We're full <laughs> of good saying. advice this episode. We, we, we have been genuinely good absolutely. advice. Absolutely. No, don't Ask. upset your. Don't upset the talent by filming the microphone. Just a, <laughs> Ask it's an old, to the past. It's an old adage. That. <laughs> absolutely. Maybe you just don't love you anymore, and it's time to move on. <laughs> <laughs> Number 73, Wake Up Dead, oh, by Megadeth. Um, no, I'm not a Megadeth fan. Did so. you watch the video that I linked I to? I did. I watched the bit that you said about the... the, 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 <laughs> the, the, the I'm not even sure what that is. It's just, it's just white noise. <laughs> it's a guitar ir- solo or something. It's just erratic <laughs> finger placement. It's like, I don't know how his fingers do those things. But they just make noises that are horrible. Yeah, it's just lots of crazy stuff going on with that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, number 76 is Shame, by Eurythmics. Yeah, ironic and it's crap <laughs> and crap yeah there we go yeah. number 83 in god's country by the alarm sorry i mean you too <laughs> this made me laugh loads it was so unmistakably you two sounding that it actually sounded like a cover band yeah it sounded which like the alarm. That is, are, are you two a cover of themselves <laughs> which would be uh, them 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 four <laughs> so they wrote a song recorded it and then recorded it again as you two because they wanted to cover their own songs that's how pretentious they get no one <laughs> covers our songs they're... but us <laughs> Who do you think they're talking about when they call themselves U2? <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> like, well, who? who? Well, is it Bono and Edge? Or is it Clayton and Mullen? I don't Mullen? know. Is yeah, it, it should be Edge? U4, maybe? Or, yeah. I don't know. It should be really, shouldn't it? U2. Um, U2. Who? I don't know. Um, I've put this as forgettable and boring birthday cake. Um, <laughs> this is the Asda own brand birthday tray bake of songs. Yeah, it is. Um, and as I've noted, it sounds like they covered an alarm song. It does exactly sound like it. Yeah, weird, uh, weird tit for tat. Uh, number 88 is Songs for Christmas 87 by the Mini Pops. Ooh, troubling. <laughs> and then so, just before we get into it, it reminded me of the bit, and I've linked to the uh, the clip, and I've got the actual timestamp in there, of the Brass Eye section where uh, naked toddlers dance for the pleasure of watching adults. Yes, yes, in that pastiche. Yes, that, let's that's be what very clear about what that, what that is. Yeah. Oh no, but they didn't come from that. That's well, that's where they got that from. Yeah, it's blatantly. Uh, yes. Because they they did a, something similar in Time Trumpet as well, where they had loads of kids just playing, and there was just loads of adults watching them from a sort of balcony. It's just so disturbing. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think, and for good reasons, mini pops have been erased from time and space. But for anyone listening to this that's wondering what the hell we're talking about, um, this was a TV show where they basically got small children and when i say small children you know five or six year olds generally maybe six to eight maybe nine around that sort of young children anyway yes. they dress them up in they dress them up as the pop stars of the time contemporary and sing po- contemporary pop songs but they dress them up and put them in all the makeup and the shoes and the clothes of the of the adults and also sing the songs that the adults sing now sometimes those songs were happy-go-lucky children songs you know and that kind of thing where the wheels on the bus do go round and round and other times when you're singing i love rock and roll by joan jett starts to get a bit odd <laughs> it does and and it gets worse and worse and so this is i don't know what i didn't see what the mini pop thing was but it, it's just really i've got a link to what mini pop says i don't know if i dare post it but it's just oh yeah post you know it, what yeah. can go what can go wrong when you're dressing up ch- children you know small children in adult based costumes singing rude songs you know and suggest doing suggestive dances copying the dances of the adults as well it's really weird yes Really creepy, creepy yeah. TV. TV creepy. got creepy at certain points, didn't it? It's it really Channel did. Four again. Channel Four again. It, whatever it is, it's bad. It um, lasted one one series, then it got cancelled very abruptly. I can't imagine <laughs> yeah. why. Yeah, someone actually. What you did? What? Yeah, they're just. I imagine the execs are on a, They're on a tour of the studio, going, "This is where we film mini pops. Mini pops. What's that? Good lord." <laughs> <laughs> 
Shut immediately. <laughs> Localised in this studio. <laughs> Shut this production down. Who, 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 who authorised this? Well, it says on the... Uh, I'm not going to do that joke. <laughs> yeah, bad, 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 bad. bad. 20th of horrible, December. Horrible, bad, horrible. Yeah, move There's on. only one release, and that was at number 71. That was Olamo by Dollar. Dollar. Oh, God, that's Dollar. Francis Dollar Hyde. Can you imagine dreadful. if he did it? <laughs> <laughs> you owe me well, more. <laughs> here I am. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not this. This the lead vocal is out of tune right at the start. Yes, and it's badly out of tune. Um, and you asked there, what key is that in? It's, it, that's in no human key. Maybe the same one that pigeons coo in. Same one as Francis. Um, it is, however, key. a cover of the Erasure song. So Erasure wrote that, and you can kind of tell if you listen to it. Yeah, if you think about it, you sort of hear it, but in your mind. Think how it was sung by Erasure. Please don't linger too long on the dollar version because no. I won't buy that for a dollar. <laughs> and there's a reason why he ended, he ended up in a burger van and it ain't good reason. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't alive. No. People were eating him. <laughs> 27th of December, only two, was there only two two singles were released. Uh, at number 87, when you've lost that loving feeling by the Righteous Brothers. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know why it's out there. It just yeah, is. I think Ghost is a bit later, but Ghost is... I remember going to the cinema Christmas, Seagos, and I was in the sixth form, so it's not yet. It's it a happy yet. Christmas song. Yeah. Well, it's post Christmas now. We're post. We're in that post Christmas malaise. Yeah, yeah, Twenty seventh yeah. of December to sure, you know that, that week that? Of, week of nothing, especially yeah, back in the eighties or something. Maybe an advert or something. Back in the eighties, that week really was just a week of nothing, wasn't it? It was just eating and just collapsing mainly <laughs> just, in my house. Yeah, and just trying to see through a fog of brown. Yeah, just you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, especially just, in your house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, been, absolutely. Been round. Yeah, um, just you know, lots of brown food. Number ninety-five, my baby sure can shag by the Tams. They liked the shag songs, didn't they? The Tams. They did. Yeah, from um, the album we, we love to shag. Yeah, uh, loads um, of uh, classic tracks. Can you honest? Yeah, wanna... Sh- shaggy is better than Scooby. Uh, shag pile carpets shagging is better than the boogie fancy a shag on the dance floor shagger like a ding dong do the shag father they're shagging and you laugh so much like that. <laughs> and uh, shag on shag off miyagi style yeah um, so there and there's go. also shag me do paint it shag house of the rising shag careless shag putting on the shag and shag a glonk shag, shag a glonk sounds like a singer Ladies and gentlemen, we present the new duo, Chaka Khan, Shaka Glonk. Shaka Glonk, Chaka Glonk. Where are you going, Shaka Glonk? Shaka Glonk. God, that's actually really hard to say with Chaka Khan at the same time. Uh, but yeah, there you go. <laughs> I don't know. Why were they doing all the covers? Well, you know, why not? Know. Just a cover album, yeah. They Absolutely. later did a, a spin off cover album with Shag yeah. Me Do and Shaka Glonk, Shaka Glonk. Where are you going, Shaka Glonk? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear putting on the shag do, 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 do. Uh, that's it that's your singles let's get into albums there's, there's not many albums it's Christmas and, and nobody yeah. wants to be in the wake of now time. that's what I call no, exactly. music you're not going to so, win that battle are you so 6th of December in at number 87 was Light at the End of the Tunnel by The Damned yeah double compilation album double compilation album double. includes a cover of the Beatles song Help which I can't imagine the would damned. be very interesting yeah I know I thought weird. that weird. very weird um, number 93 was Phil Spector's Christmas album, 1987 version by a Phil CD. Spector. I think it's a CD re-release. I didn't look into it because I don't really like Phil Spector stuff. No, rest in, rest in Me, rest in peace. So this is the Christmas Christmas re-release. You know, it's not that Christmas, Christmas yeah. you know, variety tracks. 13th yeah. of December, number 64, Inside Information by Foreigner. 
Yeah, brave to release it then. Sixth studio album from them. Went platinum in the US, but sales were nowhere near the same volume as their previous album, Foreigner 4. <laughs> Which was their fifth album. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, let's not even think about it. <laughs> what, what, did it start at zero? Did they start like in um, computer talk? You know, uh, possibly. It's like an one, array. <laughs> the first one in the array is zero. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, yeah, probably. What, what's Foreigner Zero? Oh, they stand on row zero on the spreadsheet. Oh, <laughs> why did we do that? Damn it. <laughs> what's a spreadsheet? It's 1987. <laughs> <laughs> Shh. I am a traveler of both time and space. <laughs> You'll thank me in the future. Put shares in Microsoft. <laughs> and Apple. Something called Apple. Something what, the called- music? What, the, the music producers? Why? Oh, go back to your silly lives. <laughs> I'm going my time machine. <laughs> Back to when we released Foreigner 9. I might even erase you. Which is our 10th album. (laughs) And then we released Foreigner A. Oh, I've done it in hex. Damn it. (laughs) They're working their way through the different mathematical formula, yeah. Foreigner 101111. Yeah, but why are we releasing our album titles in binary? I don't know. Some guy from the future came and said it was a good idea to put all of our money in something called microcrap. I don't know. Micro-rackle? I can't remember. It might not have been that. Yeah, it might have been something like something to do with fruit. Oh, Blackberry. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> number 85, 20th of December, number 85, Sunita, the exclamation mark. Yeah, you've got to Five. shout it. Sunita! 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 <laughs> Sunita! What have you done? <laughs> what have you done, Sunita? Sunita. By Sunita. By Sunita. Um, by Sinitar. Sinitar. <laughs> oh, he sounds like a that sounds like a, a bad guy in sort of Battle of the Planets. <laughs> yeah, or in uh, Thundercats. Sinitar, Thunder- the ever living. Sinitar. <laughs> do that voice. It makes my throat go funny. Yeah, don't do it. Did it yeah. the other week. Um, so yeah, this was Simon Cowell and Saw, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Simon Cowell got Saw, I think. But yeah. yeah Simon probably. Cowell and Stock Aiken and Waterman. What could go wrong, really? What yeah. did she do? So, did she into do a machine so with Sunita. So yeah, yeah, so macho toy boy. Yeah, and it out pops this derivative pop guff. I thought she was quite a stunning looking person, you know, in, in a, many ways. But this, uh, many of her hits were popular in certain niche audiences, I suppose. Maybe people with no ears or sense of hearing. Um, but obviously, were less popular were some of the B sides, um, which she became quite famous for, including such hits as "Tell Simon to Eat Shit." I'd rather punch a goat than touch that. And the oddly titled, I'm not eating that sausage, just stop asking. I'm sure what she's referring to there, we may never know. It's a mystery wrapped know. in time, space enigmas. We don't know. We don't Absolutely. know. We need, we need the foreigner man to find out. Eat that sausage, Sunita. I told you, I'm not eating it. I'm, I'm going to write a song it. about it. It's gone off. Going on the B-side, Sunita. Get on with it. Who's that? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, for some reason, I've gone into this weird EastEnders-based character for, for like, Sunita. I don't like know. Grant. Grant Mitchell produces Sunita <laughs> or Phil. He does now. <laughs> what are you doing, Sunita? Phil and Grant Mitchell present. <laughs> Get that song sung. Britain's artist, Sunita. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, 27th of December, one album. And I can't, yeah, this will climb. Number yes. 98, Heaven on Earth by Belinda Carlisle. Yes, Belinda Carlisle, Belinda Carlisle. I remember a certain friend of ours having a bit of an obsession with a p- this particular person. I remember it very well. Lots of album buying and lots of buying of laser discs <laughs> with um, with this particular artist and lots of well, repeated listenings and late night listenings and doesn't bear thinking about. <laughs> That's enough detail. I also remember another friend who claimed one of his mates uh, slept with Belinda Carlisle when she toured with the Go Go's. I'm not a lie, obviously. Yeah, so that was the, and that was one of his claims, to, his friends' claims to fame. Can't corroborate any of that, and I'm pretty sure none of that's true. Because I'm certain it isn't. 
he also had a friend who worked at Nintendo and had a and had a Nintendo sixty five at this point as well. <laughs> but Belinda Carlisle was, you know, this was a good album, um, very popular artist. And um, I think she was married to um the son of uh the guy who played Straker in uh, Salem's Lot. That was a husband. Straker? Um, what? Yeah. James Mason. Yeah, so James Mason's son was Belinda Carlisle's oh, James husband. James Mason's son. Bobby yeah, so, Mason. Yeah, so he's like, put down that cross, Belinda. <laughs> He's the master. Would you stop doing your your dad's voice, you freak? (laughs) Is your dad coming around? He is. Hello. (laughs) Ciao. (laughs) Hello, Belinda. Ciao. (laughs) This is very nice and pleasant here. Put down that fork. We're finished eating. (laughs) (laughs) You can do nothing against the dessert. Stop. Come on, dad. (laughs) All right. You're not in Salem's Lot anymore, for goodness sakes. (laughs) Yes, I can save it for you till Monday, this dessert. (laughs) What are you going to wear tomorrow? I've got two black suits. Oh, for goodness sake. Just let it go. You freak. It was nine years ago. Seven years nine, ago, whatever. It was a long time ago. It's all over with now. Yeah. It's all Better over with. You, don't, you do not own a shop that sells antiques. I told you. You're an actor. For God's sake. It's better than him doing the Lita, though. <laughs> yes, for God's sake. Yeah, he did that first in the year, famously. Um, yeah. yeah. Let's not even go down that road. Goodness <laughs> Let's know. not. Not with mini pops in there. Been mentioned. No. That's it. Uh, stop yeah there you go that's it that's your music it's a it's a light music part because obviously nothing gets released in december because still because they can do nothing against the master (laughs) they can do nothing against now i've got music 10 (laughs) put down that single buy the album (laughs) you're single (laughs) you know i really want them to have used james mason to advertise now that's what i call music 10 now (laughs) is that single enough you're single against the album. <laughs> two. It comes with two discs. <laughs> uh, God, my God, that's it. That, now that's diverse humour, that, that if is. If you can't afford it today, I'll save it for you till Monday. Only we could blend Salem's lot into now that's what I call music advertising. Yep. It's, it's, a, it's, what, a it's what very, makes this podcast the great thing it is. <laughs> it's a very, very missing genre. There you it go. Is that's your music. Underrepresented. Yes. We've got another six games or so. Um, coming up um, in the next part. So we'll go for a break. We'll come back and we'll get into them. So please stay with us and we'll see you in a bit. The novel Escape from the Commodore 64 by David Hearn is out now. Crash landing on a green planet full of vector graphics. Can Sarah find a way to escape for real? Or is she stranded on a planet full of sun, sea, and chippy tea forever? Imagine finding yourself in a cinematic karate game, having to rescue a princess, or remain stuck under the run-stop key forever. What about finding yourself on a space freighter full of robots? Could you clear the decks? If you were transported back to a Wild West town, having to round up outlaws, could you survive until sunset? What if you were a wizard with a cat who must color worlds? Could you beat the game, or would a virtual guitar solo announce your demise? Sarah might just be another visitor, but she doesn't want to stay a while, never mind forever. Available from Amazon and all good online retailers, discover if there's a way out in Escape from the Commodore 64. Visit davidhernwriter.com to find out more. And we're back. We've got six or so games to get through. Um, our first one, Graham. Let's get in some straight away. Graham, tell us all about 
what it's like out on the street when there's hassling going on. What's it like <laughs> when there's street hassle? Street hassle. Um, from Melbourne House, this weird game, coded by Andrew Davey and David Pentecost, graphics by Russell Comte, design is Andrew Davey, musician was Neil Brennan, and Beam Software, I think they're clusters, aren't they? Um, yes, yes, they are, yes, so, Beam. But it's released through Melbourne House. I think they've been responsible for other Melbourne House games. They they all kind of have this look, so I'm guessing Bazooka Bill's been on their horizon at some point, and the Asterix game and anything else that had big blocky sprites anyway. In this game, you play a school teacher come superhero called Underpant Man. <laughs> Blue, it's not Blue Underpant Man, is it? Uh... Underpant Man. Your mission is to stroll the streets of the city turned bad and right the wrongs as you find them. And with fists <laughs> adorned in gold pants and ready to punch some faces smooth, you head out on a quest to be the hero the city needs. And that's it. That's the story. Yep, that's the story. This is a side-scrolling beat-em-up. It does not take itself too seriously and features large, bold, blocky sprites that have kind of become pretty much linked to this game team anyway. You control your play with a joystick and basically you have to walk to the right, fighting the array of grannies, blind men, gorillas, dogs, and midgets. <laughs> it's such an er- erratic bunch of things. As you patrol the city on this sort of quest, I guess you'd call it. Everything is fair game here, and you have some simple moves available that change with each level. You can always kick, duck, move left and right. And I say trip up, which is a bit odd because it looks like he sort of tickles the f- their feet. I don't know what that move is. Tickles the undercarriage. Oh, but in level one, you can also headbutt. In level two, you can spin them around and twist their ears. Level three, you can chest them. You can also, you know, knee them. And the ante of the moves gets up. Eventually, you can sort of pick them up above your head and throw them and do all sorts of stuff like that. Now, they will try and whack you. You have an energy bar and they will whack you and hit you and the dog will jump and bite you and the gorilla will punch you. And when your energy runs out, one of your lives runs out. And if you run out of lives, then obviously it's the end. So, and as you go along, you can collect other things that will boost you and boost you out, boost you out. They send to fire the drop bombs later as well, which are dead annoying because you've got to kick them off the screen. Otherwise you lose sort of lots of health. Um, or you can pick up bits that will boost your health, um, which are like little floating love hearts with wings on. So, and that's kind of the game. It's just that, you know, level after level after level, the background with different backgrounds and slight variations here and there of the main characters you're fighting. Everything's big here. The, the graphics are really big and bold um, and it's got very much a cartoon sensibility about it so there's lots of funny styling here it's not you're not they're not gone for really big detailed anything they've just gone for kind of silly i don't know silly sort of style your main character that you play looks like a dancer from the trade nightclub in the late 90s <laughs> and i'll leave that uh, with your imagination what that might look like <laughs> but it is just uh, stupid mindless fun all said and done now is that does that equate to 10 pounds worth of fun i don't know and uh, maybe there is maybe there isn't um there's not much to do in this game other than that walking along and you will have a laugh as you'd sort of you know you you screw the ears off a blind person or you know kick a granny in the face and, and i suppose you know uh, it's kind of taken all the it's just silly and it's done for silliness's sake so it's not nothing too serious it is just a sort of cartoon silly game um you know when you find yourself headbutting a gorilla and stuff like that you know it, it's just whether you can tolerate and how long you can tolerate this game for the graphics are, are okay in that sense that they are what they are the sounds are okay you know there's good thumping sounds and fighting sounds and clangs and blonks the music's passable, actually. It's neither it's neither terrible nor so annoying that it kills you. It's just there. Um, and it kind of drives the pace of the game along a bit. Um, and you probably enjoy playing it, because I did. I mean, it's a bit of a guilty pleasure, this game. You start it and you think, God, this is crap. But then you just find yourself plodding along, you know, periodically planting blind people into the ground, kick, kicking a granny in the face, punching a gr- gorilla out. And I found myself just like, laughing about the stupid banality and and, and, all. and I'm not sure what statement they're making with this game. When we look at, sometimes when we analyze these games, we like to think of what, what statements are they making about the, the world in the 80s, that a, an underpanted man can just go down the street, a white guy, and just beat people up indiscriminately. And you know, what does it all mean? And what does it matter anyway? It's kind of like a, a crap blocky version of falling down 10 years before it came out, if you just wore gold pants. <laughs> 
don't know. There's not nothing to this game other than that. You're either buying to look at it. Be- it looks better and plays better than Bazooka Builded. There isn't a complicated map to follow. There's no no sense of you know trying to go backwards and forwards. You just walk in one direction uh, and beat things up and eventually you get to the end of that and then you get to the next level and then you get to the end of that. And the backgrounds are quite bold, but not massively varied, but they kind of work. It is exactly that. It's just no more complex. It got 80% in Zap. I don't know that any old fairness. I mean, as much as it is fun for a while, I don't think it's eighty percent fun. I, I wouldn't have put it that high. This is putting it in the same, nearly the same realms as some of the other beat 'em ups that we've seen, and, and some of the other more sort of complicated mm-hmm. games. I actually enjoyed this more than Fist Two, which says a lot about me. I think more than Fist Two, but it is just mindless, stupid entertainment, and it and it passed an afternoon. It would be better at budget price, and then I could really forgive it. But at a full price game for this, I just don't think there's enough game in it really. Um, after you've got through the jokes and you've done all the moves, I don't really know what's left after that not much so it was all right i suppose i've played a lot worse you know at least it wasn't a licensed version of something anyway so what about you i I don't know it was all right but what about you yeah uh, hmm. can you get by on a stupid sense of humor stupid premise and poor gameplay i don't think you can not really i thought this was fist two and fighting warrior through the lens of absurdist comedy yeah pretty much yeah you want to speak your town your golden pants beating up blind people grannies apes and dogs so like most of these things though that i just found the joke wore thin quickly and then the problem is with the gameplay is you're left with the game to play because the joke is okay it is amusing rubbing you know and finding the new moves and the levels and stuff okay yes okay but essentially this is it's a kung fu master clone in it it's just a kung fu master yeah of that of that life yeah coming from both sides but for me, if they'd taken elements from the game we looked at last week, Renegade, added some depth to the screen, this would have been better. Because the problem with this is it has the slowness of moves from Renegade, but the enemies of Kung Fu Master in the way they come on from both sides. So the issue is that you need the speed of moves from Kung Fu Master to deal with the enemies on a 2D plane. And it doesn't have that. So you, you're slow and you're cumbersome. Each move takes quite a while. It's far too easy to get beaten from either side and be dead before you know it. If you had depth in the screen, you could move out the way a bit, like Renegade. You can manage the enemies better with the slowness of your moves. As it is, it goes very frustrating, but I found it got very frustrating very quickly. It also has the issue that enemies can walk on together from a side, but your kick will only hit one of them. Um, And the second one of them will be able to hit you with impunity, and your health is quickly whittled away. And when they whack you, they really whack you as well. Yeah, exactly. The slowness of the moves is also a problem when trying to catch the bloody heart to get your health back. It's just—it's just it's so so frustrating to see your heart just float away. You're like, oh, for God's sake! And when you walk into it, well, I don't know why it's not just activated by walking into it. I just found this too slow and cumbersome for the style of game it is. And it, you know, we've had seen Renegade uh, the other week, and we've, that's been in the arcade for a while. So this kind of brawler could work. You know, I don't mind it. I just wish they'd not done it on a 2D plane and given you the depth of a of the Renegade style. And I think if they'd have done that, you'd have had a, a much, much better game because you could manage the world and the enemies better. As it is, you can't dodge anything. The jump is superfluously pointless, I found. So, I don't know. <laughs> it's stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid, this game. It is just stupid. It is. And, and I get it why people like it because of its stupidity and its ridiculousness and its brazen commitment to that cause. But playing it is, I don't know, I didn't enjoy playing it very much. And it, it's a game, isn't it? So it needs to be, needs to yeah. play well. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Anything else to say on that one? No, I mean, it's, 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 like, it's like it's, it's, there's nothing, there's nothing really, really there, is there? I mean, no. I had fun doing what the one thing that you do in the game. And yeah, it made me chuckle a bit, but 
like I said, for £10, I don't know how long that's going to last me. No. And it is hard. I mean, I for some reason, I must have been really good at this because I got straight to level four in the first sit-down play of it. Um, I never had any of those. Pro- but uh, that is just, the, it's completely hit and miss. I maybe just didn't get the number of characters on the screen that you did. It's probably yeah. something as random as that. Could be. Um, so, um, and the, the, I found the dogs more annoying than any other character in it because you can't actually, you have to sort of wait till they bark and then run over and tickle them. And uh, Why am I even thinking about it? It's just, Stupid. <laughs> it's what it is, yeah. The tactics uh, to this game, it's stupid. It is stupid. Let's move on. Into something much more cerebral. Because our next one is Computer Scrabble Deluxe. This was £13. It got no rating, but it did get a sizzler. A sizzler. All right, so I love Scrabble, so sit down and get ready. It's a version of very popular and evergreen board game Scrabble, okay? So, so let's talk about Scrabble. <laughs> Because when it comes down to it, I love it. So I had a route around. So I, a bit, I never knew much about how, where Scrabble came from or, or anything. So I did a bit of digging. And Scrabble was originally designed in 1938 by Alfred Mosher Butts. Great name. Basing it on a previous game of his, it was called Lexico. So in this, when he updated it in 1938, he introduced the 15 by 15 board design and the crossword style of play. And he called the game Chris Crosswords. Makes <laughs> so sense. So cl- So close. So close to catchiness. So he made some boards himself, but it didn't take off. And in 1931, Butts had previously written a paper um, called The Study of Games, where he spoke of three types of games, board, number, games, so for cards and dice, and letter games. And this paper led him to creating Lexico and then led him on to creating Crisscross Words. So he, he was, a, you know, found one of the, really one of the founding fathers of sort of game design theory, which is quite interesting. So anyway, in 1948, James Bruno, or Brunot, who owned a copy of Crisscross Words, bought the rights to produce the game in exchange for granting Butts a royalty on each copy sold. Bruno simplified the board, so the way where the, the multiplier tiles are, and also changed the name to Scrabble. So in the first year, they made 2,400 sets that they lost money. But it was apocryphally not until 1952 when Jack Strauss, who was the president of Macy's at the time, he played the game while on holiday. When he got back, he was surprised to see that his store was not selling it placed a massive order that was that it was the must-have board game for the season and the rest is history as they say so what is scrabble so if you don't know it's a 15 by 15 grid there's a collection of 100 tiles 98 having letters on them and two being blank letters on the tiles appear in relation to how often they're used in the english language so loads of e's and a's but only one z j q and x and ranges in between each letter has a number attached to it in relation to its commonality as well with rarer letters having higher numbers each player picks seven tiles at random and they have to make a word from them whoever goes first places their word on the board and then from then on each word place must connect to existing words on the board either by using a letter in an existing word or by creating a new word usually of two letters alongside it the board itself has four types of special squares which are double and triple letter scores and double and triple word scores once a word has been placed you add up all the numbers in the word put down and any new ones created work out any multipliers and that's your score play then moves to the next player and you continue until you're out of tiles and whoever has the best score is the winner right there you go that's scrabble in a nutshell scrabble for me works because of its combination of non-deterministic gameplay and combination of look skill and knowledge it's a game that is genuinely built to not just appeal to your knowledge but improve your vocabulary it is at its very essence edutainment but does it by hiding that facet of the game to make it almost subconsciously buried in there it's not a game you play with thinking i'm going to learn something but you do so this version i thought this version was pretty good aside from the visual side of things we'll come to that in a moment it has a wealth of options so you can play any combination of two to four players so two humans 
humans, one human and two computer players, three humans and one computer, and so on and so on. The computer player can be put at any skill level from one to eight, and that's individual. So if you have you versus three other computer players, you can put them all at different skill levels. At levels one to four, the computer will play a fairly basic game, but from five to eight, it will use the two-letter adjunctive words and provides a real challenge. So they'll be putting stuff along it to create me and mess or you know, all that kind of stuff. You can opt. There's loads of options. You can opt to always see the letters of everyone or hide them. And you can even set a timer for each go as well. So like speed scrabble. You can opt to see the computer thinking and you can change the speed of tile placement from instant to slow or zero to nine. Zero is just, they just appear. Nine, they take a while to appear. You can save a game and reload it. And all the op- options of scrabble, such as pass, challenge, change your letters, are present and correct. It's Scrabble. The computer plays a decent game as well, and all the facets of the board are here. The only issue with this version is the monochromatic. Is it's it's monochromatic, and I wonder if this is to keep it high res. I don't know what they, if they could, if it's something along that. And this use of color was limited, but it does look, make the game look a bit drab. I mean, the Scrabble board is not. It is what it is. It's sort of cream color with pinks and blues and reds and blues for the different tiles. Here, it's just they just use character symbols within each one to represent the different kind of things. And if you know where they are, it's fine. But it takes a little bit of getting used to the game plays really easily you simply type out the word and if you've got the letters to make it up it goes and it says right where do you want to put it if you move the cursor to where you wish to place it using the cursor keys and you press a or d to place it across or down and that's about it i, I thought this was a really good version of scrabble being to play able to play it in one player is i guess its main draw because you can't really do that with the board game but would you choose this over the board game itself probably not I guess, I don't know. But if you want some practice and to play against others and then you don't have anyone to play against, then maybe this will scratch that itch and you probably will like it. There's loads of Scrabble games out there now, tons of them on mobile and it's, it's, it's massive. I'm not sure, visuals aside, they could have done anything more with this. It's still Scrabble, so I, I just really liked it because it's Scrabble. It was made by Mike Montgomery and if you don't know who Mike Montgomery, he went to work on loads of things like Speedball 2 all the way up to Project Cars and he was one of the co-founders of the Bitmap Brothers. So, thought that was quite interesting started out doing this scrabble version i thought this was really good impressive see why it got sizzler because it's a really good version of scrabble if you like scrabble you're gonna like this i think because it offers that one player mode which obviously board game scrabble does not what about you did you enjoy your time playing a bit of scrabble it's all right scrabble no it was, it was all right graphics are by it said it's by the gang of five on the game yeah i saw that as well but i, d- I don't know what that means no, I don't either. There's not much of the way of graphics in it. Uh, I think that my main argument here is that the only case to have this is to if you want to practice Scrabble. That's where it's yes, a good exactly, practice yeah. engine. And that's the only reason you'd have it. But it's twelve ninety five, which is a lot. That would be probably slightly more expensive at this point than actual Scrabble. That's yeah. So I suppose if you like Scrabble, you're gonna have both really. You might you might have a computer version so you can just now play one player but like having a bridge version of version of bridge where you can play you know other players and practice yeah. bridge and stuff and there's nothing wrong with that i thought it, it was very basic looking but it does the job it felt a bit over clicky as well clearly there's a bit of ui interface design needed because it is a bit over clicky yeah there's a lot of pressing keys to continue in there yeah this just seems to be a lot of that but once you're over that and you're into the game you're into the game aren't you i had a decent game of scrabble against a couple of computer opponents i enjoyed it i, I quite like scrabble so yeah, it was all right. It's all right. Yeah, I wasn't sure what to expect, but it's. Just I think a it's good a bit harsh giving it no rating. I think that's just. I don't like it when they do that. Rate it. It's a game. It is a game. Yeah, and you can't just give it no rating. Oh, sorry, these games are unrateable. It's like it's a game. Yeah. Is it enjoyable? It works to the same parameters as all games. So you don't have to compare it, you know, in that way, but you do have to rate it as a game. I mean, its graphics would be functional. There's not much sound, but playability and lastability would be Yeah, and all the options. En- give it, yeah, absolutely. Give it lots of... It would have scored pretty well. I'd have given this a decent score. I mean, it got a sizzler, so it's got to be over the 80s and, you 
know, 80s to 90s, I think. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, I, I enjoyed my time with it, as I'm sure you did. It's in, in that way that I was able to do things that, with Scrabble that I can't do with, with the board game, which is if I'm on my own, I can't just sit down for it. It's a very lonely affair if you're playing solo Scrabble <laughs> in the board game. And tell it you. is. You, you've really got to what move you, around the table all the time. Oh. <laughs> and you, you always know what the other players have got. <laughs> yeah. I suppose that's one of the things about this as well. If you do show all the things, but you, you have to tell everyone, turn away from the screen, turn away. Don't yeah, see my yeah, letters. Yeah. Yeah, it would have to be that. But I think you would use this more for practice, but like people when they bought those chess games, yeah, you use it to practice your game of chess. You don't necessarily look at it as okay, a... But it, when I played opponent. it as well, when I played it against the level eights, it came up with some interesting words. I was like, what the hell does that mean? Yeah, challenge, challenge. I did challenge, but they were like, eh. I think the challenge is just you have to sort of say if it's all right. There's also... There's no such word as Zubo. What are you talking about? <laughs> Computers crashed. Erase. Oh. Oh, oh. Um, no, yeah. And I, I just, just scrabble in it, you know, you put it all against yeah. level eight and it's, it's, it all works. Yeah, good game. I liked it. Scrabble. Let's move on. Because our next one, I'm going to think, not going to be so good. Graham, tell us how to be a complete bastard. Hey, okay. £10 for this. 33% developed by Sentient Software for Virgin Interactive. And I, d- I don't know much about the How to Be a Complete Bastard book of which this is based. I'd never owned it, but it was some kind of extension of the Aid Edmondson character, Sir Adrian Dangerous, which is one of the Dangerous Brothers, wasn't it? So it was. I think ben. so, yeah. Then that was a TV and stage show that he performed with Rick Mail, um, which contained a selection of ways to become a complete bastard to those around you. That was part of mm-hmm. the, sh- the shtick of that. So in this game, Sir Adrian Dangerous, um, or we'll just call him Aid for the simplicity's sake, because it could all get complicated here. Uh, you've successfully crashed a yuppie party. Now, this game's heart is clearly in the 80s, very much so. Very much so. It like a yuppie, which is on the posh side of town. And to succeed in the game, you've got to actually light up the phrase complete busted by doing lots of stupid tasks, which will inevitably incapacitate the guests by the end of the party, or actually get them to leave is the, the name here. And you do that in all sorts of deviant, horrible ways, thereby building up bastard points as you ply through the game, completing horribly offensive things to upset people to get them out of the party so you can light up your lights. That's pretty, pretty much it. In the game itself, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to cover the ridiculous way this game works in a minute, but you have to search through the furnishings and fittings, find objects that will enable you to play these stupid jokes and create havoc, I guess. You view the screen on this split level thing. Again, I'm going to come back to that, actually, because I just want to sort of go through the... Because this, this, the controls of this and the bastard vision, sorry, bastard vision, which is just what they call it in the instructions, is just awful in this. But So you control uh, the character by walking around, and essentially the, you've got to sort of <laughs> search things um, and the more you search things, you, ca- you also, so you can search things and some of those things will be things that you can make into jokes. So the things that you can eat and it will build up your fart gas so you can fart and you press the F key to pass wind and that can upset people. And the idea is that you build up on each side of the screen, you've got both a, a weeometer and a drunkometer because apparently you can find things you can drink. And the more drink you get, the more drunk you become. And the more drunk you become, the more obnoxious you become. But also, you then need to win. You can urinate in the room in front of people if you want to do that, or to find the toilet and do things like that. So you can do that. Or if you find another person, then you can do that and relieve yourself. And <laughs> it's horrible. And it's, that's the whole point of the game is to be as horrible as possible. You can also, as you drink, you, your level of your drunkometer changes. And so some of your activities can only be carried out when you're actually sober enough to do it. Otherwise, you're inebriated. It doesn't work. You've also got the fartometer. <laughs> 
can't believe I'm saying these phrases. And the smellometer. So eating anything that you find increases the level of your fartometer, but pressing F will obviously emit that fart. And then the smellometer gives a general condition of your body odor. So as you pass gas, obviously you're upsetting more people. And if all four of the meters should reach their maximum levels at the same time, you basically shit yourself in the game. It's, it says dire consequences, but you actually just do a shit. Diarrhea consequences. Yeah, exactly. So between all of the we are material everything else, you get your bastard points, which go up and down depending on how bastardly you are being in the game. So anything cowardly uh, or effeminate, which I think is shocking, and that is, that is, that's the phrase they use in the instructions as well, I'm afraid to say, is classes will lose you points, which is a bit off, isn't it? Extremely bastardly actions will cause one of the, one of the guests to leave, and that will light up letters in your name. But sometimes the letters only light up semi-permanently. Sometimes they light up permanently. And some of them have got hyphens, so you've got to light them both up at the same time. You can't eat any cigarettes, <laughs> you would, or coleslaw or burgers, sausage or chips. And you're not allowed to pass gas in the kitchen. So there's some rules about where you can and can't do things. You can't drink the weed killer, for example, because it kills you. You can't eat pills because it kills you. Or if you leave them do something wrong, like bring out the chainsaw or razor blades, you can kill the guests. Again, big no-no. And you end up getting locked up. There's also a computer in there in one of the rooms. And if you reset the computer, it actually resets your Commodore 64 for real. So it just quits you out of the game, which is really stupid, isn't it? Does it? It does, yeah. That's a terrible idea. So that's the idea of the game. And this plays out over two screens in what they called Bastard Vision. So not only is this complicated to explain, it's also <laughs> horrible to actually endure in the game because the idea of this view is that you have a side view and a front-to-back view of Aid's character in any given space. So you can see everything in the room, essentially, is the plan. It doesn't work, mm. though. This is not a way to convey 3D space in 2D. Now, trying to explain this is actually like trying to explain the plot of Tenet, <laughs> the film Tenet. <laughs> Because you can actually rotate I'm glad you the got this screen. <laughs> you can rotate the screen view on either of those screens with the one and two key. So you can just rotate them in ninety degrees, which which inevitably means you get confused about what the hell you're looking at, what direction you're facing. So I found myself at one point walking to the left on the top screen and walking to the right on the bottom screen. Yeah. Which and it just started to hurt my brain. And all I'm <laughs> all I'm wanting to do is walk around and search things, a bit like Wood in Mission Impossible. Yeah. Frank goes to Hollywood. Yeah. In any of those games, so you don't need this stupid system. I don't know what on earth possessed him to put it in so you've actually got a lot of keyboard controls to think about so you can't just walk left and right you've got f to fart then you've got q and a to select different options and the space bar is your action button then you've got one and two to rotate your screen and e and b do, and there's, there's all this different these different controls and characters all of the while you, you're trying to think of inventive ways that these things will work together or will enable you to become and do these obnoxious things that you're meant to be doing or increase your fart meter or do all of those things but you won't want to do that because it's so slow the visuals are really badly drawn. So the, the character that you play is badly drawn in a badly drawn background of which none of it makes any sense directionally. So you have no, no. idea where you're heading. This is meant to, it's just meant to be a party. It doesn't have to be this weird view at all. There's no reason, rhyme or reason for this. So they've just gone completely control bonkers and it makes no <laughs> sense. And I think that's because they had no idea what they were doing. This could have worked like Jack the Nipper. Jack the Nipper is essentially this game where you've got to run yeah. around, do yeah. naughty stuff yeah. and you know cause chaos. That was Jack the Nipper. But what they didn't do in Jack the Nipper was create a bilateral view of the action where you can <laughs> rotate the screen anytime for no reason whatsoever. None. There's loads of things you can do in this game, but you'll never get to do them or find them because I found even just searching for things really difficult because finding yourself in a position where you're next to something is, is it's like trying to navigate something from two different views that make no sense. Yep. And you, you end up inevitably getting lost. So I just thought this was piss poor all around. It's just terrible. It's a really bad game based on probably a fairly offensive 
IP, really, that really doesn't have any place in a kid's game, I don't think. And, and, and if you're going to do it like this, no. what is there? I mean, this is the equivalent of that Russ Abbott game that made no sense. This is just just awful. Oh, but uh, that's the Battle and Bond. Yeah, exactly. In, in the sense that that was a game that just had loads of stuff thrown in that didn't make any sense to be there in any way. This is the same thing. So you've got a character yeah. which kind of looks a bit like Aid Edmondson, maybe, if you really squint and he's tiny, but slow and badly animated. And this is meant to be, you're meant to be at a party, which is equally slow and badly animated. And why, if you're at a party, are you just, why can't you just pick things up and quickly go back? The, the whole idea of this is that in order for this to be fun, you'd have to be able to go and do things quickly and, and it's fun and then go and do something else that's fun. And get through those things in a, in a fairly speedy way. If you're slowly wandering around, opening doors, there's nothing in there, opening this, there's nothing there, there's nothing there. Oh, look, I've found a bottle of beer, drink that. Oh, my fartometer's gone up. It is rubbish. This game is rubbish. So you're mostly wandering around, trying to navigate the most confusing control system I think we've ever come across in a C64 game, and the worst. Yeah, I, th- I think it's outdone, um, what was that dungeon crawling one, where you always entered the screen from the bottom left? <laughs> I think it has, I think it has, because Spell once you change... was it? Because there's no indication, by the way, of when you rotated the view, that what you've rotated it to. Yeah. And you can rotate both views, so it's like, why? <laughs> why? What purpose does that serve? What purpose does it serve for me to rotate my view so that I can it just doesn't make any sense anyway and it's neither is it clever programming or anything else I didn't want to find out anymore once I've sort of started to navigate this I imagine even mapping this game would be a nightmare yeah because you probably you probably go circles about 50 times and you wouldn't know where you were why not just walk left and right and just explore things like that we're like pretty much every other game has in the history of games up to this point <laughs> yeah. I mean even Death Wish 3 had a crap system of navigation but at least the basic tenet was left right you didn't have dual screens with rotational capability stupid <laughs> I hated this game. I really hated everything about it. I didn't get the jokes. They weren't very funny. The controls were awful. The graphics are terrible. The navigation systems is, is just out of some kind of satanic nightmare. Everything about this was crap. And it was one great big joke that didn't work. It fell flat on its face, which is a shame because the actual stuff that it's based on was probably pretty funny, albeit at that time. It's dated badly, this kind of comedy. And when you're using like, you know, if your character's girly or effeminate, then you're going to get punished for it. We, we've moved on a lot since then in the world. Yeah. Um, so this has not only bad taste in the mouth from all of that kind of stuff, but it's just crap. Absolute crap. And it got a, a wholesome 33%. Be brave. I say it again. I've said it many times. Be brave. Give it what it deserves. A big fat zero. It was crap. And for full price, forget it. Forget it. Demons out is my final comment. <laughs> Merin. 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 What about you? Oh, the viewpoint. The viewpoint. Why? First comment. Why did anyone think that viewpoint was a good idea? Why did you need to represent anything in some weird two camera view split screen rotational way? I don't like i don't know it took me so long to walk through a door yeah same i was like which way am i walking where am i going why am i going really slowly in that direction but what a uh just do it like joe blade that we saw the other week or something like that anything aside from that it looks awful plays turgidly it's terrible sound the entire concept doesn't work in video game form comedy and we may see a different that next week but comedy is hard to do in games and this kind of infantile comedy would works in the real world back then with the dangerous brothers the young ones and that, that anarchic style because it's fast and it's kind of like oh my god that was the thing about the dangerous brothers like oh my, he's on fire <laughs> jesus yeah there was, you never knew what to expect but here it's so slow and stilted and unfunny. Comedy, as we know, is all in the delivery. It's all in the timing. And when this moves at a dead slow, treacle speed, split screen nightmare vision, 
The entire point of the game is lost. Awful, pointless license drivel. Awful. Just didn't understand it. Didn't understand where this came from or why anyone thought this would be a good idea. Was the book by Virgin? Was it reduced? So it was just kind of a multimedia yeah, sort of assault. Yeah, probably. Probably you know, was. So there was like, there's this and there'll be the tour and yeah, blah, blah, blah. And then the game and the, uh, just, but just Weird. no, this is just crap. Ugh. Yeah, it's trading on that name, isn't it? Ooh, bastard, bastard. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It, like you say, that you exactly and rightly say, funny on TV, not a game though. Not a game no. to be funny about, is it? Not really funny at all. No. There's not many games that pull off comedy, and they certainly don't do it like this. Walking around farting, it's like, oh, God's sake. No, like I said, Jack the Nipper did it better, and we we didn't really like that. No, we didn't. But yes, Jack the Nipper is is a better example of something where you're doing naughty things for for Mm. a, a better reason. You know, you're a, you're a naughty yeah. little nipper. Yep. Anywho, there we go. That's how to be a complete bastard. Rubbish. How to be completely rubbish, more like. Let's move on. It really is license heavy. It is. Street Hassle is the only original game. I, don't know, I feel like I'm being teabagged by all these license games. We've got another one coming up. Let's move into it. Uh, we've got another arcade conversion. This is the arcade conversion of Super Sprint. So what's Super Sprint? So Super Sprint is another arcade game we've had Indiana Jones from Atari. This uh, game again lent upon their desire for different inputs from the standard joystick and button configuration of most arcade games. So like Paperboy and its handlebars, Marble Madness and its trackball, Super Sprint was built around having multiple steering wheels on the cabinet, all of which can and nay must be spun around with some vigor to get around the corners of the tracks you have to navigate. This was a real fling. Those you do you play in the arcade? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had to really twang and twang, and that was it. They got this in the arcade club, I think, in Burry. Yeah, really good. So this was a three-player game in the arcade as well. So there was three of you just twanging these steering wheels around when you got three, you play it. It was great fun. This was originally designed in the arcade by Robert Weatherby and Kelly Turner. So I don't know who did the uh, conversion. I can't. I might have it now. Um, yeah, I have the game was a spiritual continuation of old top-down arcade races like Grand Track Ten and the Sprint series of games from the seventies. If you go back and look for them, you can find some of them. They're like really old, chunky bit, you know, graphics. They're sort of what's seen as the granddaddy of like uh, top, you know, top-down racers and racing games. So all the action in these kind of games happens on a single screen, and the objective is to do several laps of the course and win the race. So the viewpoint is very different to a traditional racer where we saw something like Buggy Boy, which is like you're you know behind the vehicle, three D view. The Sprint games, Grand Track Ten, were all you can see the screen, so it's a top-down view. Um, you'll see you've seen this already. Uh, it's re- this was released in 1986, and we've seen games that do this already on the C64, like BMX Simulator. That was a you know that took a lot of influence from from this. Was clearly inspired by this. But now you know in 1987 and 97 we have the official uh, conversion. The objective of the game is to do several laps win the race when finishing first place this version was programmed by catalyst coders don't know who they are but they also do flying shark which i think we get at the beginning of next year uh and the visuals by mark jones and uh, mark jones was responsible for jailbreak ah but he also did arkanoid so not so bad okay. and he'll go on to do r type so you know uh, that's pretty good we, we may we may forgive him for jailbreak and this is all right as well so as i said the arcade game is a three-player game but obviously the C64 has been reduced to a two-player game. You still have the three cars on track, though, so at least they've kept that. There was another one, Quartet, which you only have two players, but, you know, obviously that didn't lose it. But this 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 keeps the three cars on track. Just there's always at least one controlled by the computer, so it's either, you know, one against two or two humans against you know, one computer game. The game is full price, um, as I've noticed, nine ninety nine, as all arcade conversions are, because they have to be, and it's been released by Electric 
dreams. Anyway, once the game loads, you can choose to play one or two players. You buy rotating the steering wheel icon at the number of players required. That's just like the arcade game, really. I remember that that, that choice. I think it was in the arcade game. Once done, I like the slow animation of the hand giving you the thumbs up comes out from the car. Once done, you can pick which of the first four tracks you wish to race on by, again, rotating the steering wheel to pick the track. They're in the basically track one is top left, right. There's four tracks, top left, top right, bottom right bottom left uh, and you pick which one you want do that and it's into the game and the first impressions are actually pretty good this actually looks like it's paired back obviously you know it looks like super sprint the cars are okay they're a little indistinct a little blocky but you can tell they're all right and when they're actually racing they're okay nice rotational they're all right and there's a red blue and yellow card it's easy to tell them apart the track it looks like super sprint got fairly nice shading and you good sense of depth to it it looks okay you know super sprint was never a brilliant looker in the arcade it had a certain style to it and this actually manages to replicate that okay i thought the problem is once the race starts the main issue arises and that is that this has lost all the oomph of the arcade controls and let's face it, it's to be expected. There's simply no way to transpose spinning that wheel at speed, really trying it around more than 180 degrees. You're really trying it around to go around the corners. And the pleasure of doing that into just simply moving a joystick left or right and a digital input. There just isn't. Um, you can't do it. So I don't know. You, you use fire button to speed up and you know let go, slow down, and it's left and right to steer. And that's kind of it. But it is just you steer at increments. You don't speed up. You can't do that twang. So what we're left with, it gets it's just a rather dull affair. All the excitement of the controls, and that's where the kind of the excitement of the, of the race came from. Getting learning how to spin those car around the corners, it's been removed, and then you realise that the game doesn't work or feel right. It don't feel right without it. It's missing. There's nothing wrong with this conversion. Although the music does great after a while, and it feels strangely out of place. It's weird music in the game. I don't know if it's from the arcade, but it feels strangely out of place. But there's beyond. There's nothing wrong with the conversion beyond the fact that they simply couldn't replicate the arcade game's main draw, those steering wheels. So. I'm not sure if there were other racing games, sort of traditional style racing games in the arcade at this point. There were, obviously, and some of them may have had steering wheels, but nothing like the way this controls. And without that, this feels empty. You still collect spanners, the spanners on the track, and those allow you to increase your stats between the races so you can better grip, more speed, better top speed, better acceleration, that sort of thing. And you can still approach the courses in any order. So that's all there. So you can, once you, there's eight courses to do, and when you've done the first four, that sort of thing. So there are all the shortcuts and hazards present from the arcade game. So you've got the oil spills, the water the tornadoes the shortcuts in the ramp that open and close if you can time them right the first four you know um and the first four comp- courses are complete once they're complete the second four there's, there's eight tracks can be accessed and they get harder and trickier as you, as you go through them but it just doesn't feel like super sprint it looks like it but it doesn't feel like it and so like we said about all those other games paper boys marble madness gauntlets all those kind of things what we said about them you're left with a version of the original that looks like it could be okay but upon playing you see i you soon realize that the crucial element of what made this special in the arcade and you know chance and tables, but I, I really like super sprint in the arcade it's just completely lost and for me this is a good attempt that really was never going to capture the arcade due to the just the inherent hardware limitations same what we said about Paperboy and Marble Madness, things like that. It's a bit of a shame, but you're just never going to get the Super Sprint feel from it. You couldn't, just not, you can't do it. What about you? What did you think? I never really liked the arcade Super Sprint. I thought it was boring. This thing comes along, kind of looks the part really. It's, you know, like you said, it's like a toned down version of the same thing. My main problem with this was, one, the controls do lack the whatever fun you can get from spinning the steering wheel like a maniac in the arcade. But that, without that, you are just kind of, it's a bit dull. The bugs in the game, what did my head in? There were so many bugs in this game. It said that, but I never came across any, so... So, I mean, I, I one point just flew off. Um, I just <laughs> suddenly spat off the track for no reason loads of times. 
if you are minor, minorly disadvantaged in any way, you will never be able to catch up the CPU players because they never make a mistake. So so you are punished. So if you make one mistake, maybe you can catch them up. You make two, you're done on any race. So you can never really win if you've made a couple of errors. You can't catch them back up. It's not possible. The spanners were hit and miss. Sometimes I collect spanners and didn't get them awarded to me when I finished the track, so I couldn't upgrade my car. No, oh, right, okay. Sometimes the, like I said, you just span off the track for no reason. Or if you went through some of the, where the gates open, you could sneak through. Um, you hit the, you hit them anyway, even though they were open. And oh, there right. was loads and loads and loads of bugs that popped up and it ruined it. It ruined it ruined what yeah. could have been an yeah. okay variant of the game. I mean, it, 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 it kind of looked like a basic version. All right. And it was, but it would be playable. But for those bugs, it just ruined it for me. And I'm like, well, I didn't really like it anyway, but this sealed the deal. Just go and get BMX Simulator for two quid because um, yes. it's not yeah, buggy yeah. and it works and it's better than this. It is better because it's built for it's built for these controls. It works better. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and I think that that's the sadness. Really, had those bugs not been in it, I might have given been had a bit more fun with that because it's not terrible to play. It's just like I say, it's not as frantic as the arcade. And you could have really thought about that and thought, Do you know what, we can't, we haven't got that spinning. What frantic things can we add to this to make it a bit better? But and maybe that's what they tried. But the bugs, oh, they did my head in. Um, no, and in the end, enough. I was like, I've had enough. I just had enough of it in the end. I'd started another another game. I'd reloaded it thinking maybe it was just a quirk or something. Reloaded it, went to play it, went around the first bend. And then I just, it, I was moving the joystick, but it just went in one continuous direction, just crashed and then just span off in the wrong direction. And <laughs> I, I couldn't regain control of it. It just stopped functioning. And that was the end of that. So I was like, no more now. Done. Fair enough. Yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I must have got lucky. I didn't really experience any of that. The only thing I have, the other thing I would note, sort of thing, is that the the bouncing off the sides was not always logical. <laughs> you would just bounce in a direction yeah. that was like, how did I, how, why am I facing that way? Yep, which but, is a bit odd. Yeah, I did actually find it quite easy after a while. Yeah, yeah. So once you got used to it, I and mean, you didn't, if you didn't encounter any bugs, you could just you could get around pretty easily. It wasn't yeah. particularly challenging in actuality. No. And that, again, it's not something that you could ever say about the arcade. So No. I mean, you could do it like what Ridge Race used to do. So let go of the fire button, start turning, and then hold the fire button, which c- creates drift, faster thingy, and then... Yeah, maybe they could have think, added some of that stuff. But, but, but they didn't. Nope. They did not. So let's move along. Let's, uh, let's, let's sprint away from that one and into our second-to-last game. And we've got a ball game, micro ball. Graham, want to tell us all about micro ball? Probably not a lot to tell you. But. No, there isn't a great. This micro ball is from Steve Evans. That's the guy that made Who Dares Wins 1 and 2. Mm. It's a pinball game, this, or a digital pinball game. Historically, they don't do very well for me, these, because I like real pinball games a lot. Yes, yes, you um, do. And so, and so they have to offer quite a lot in terms of, you know, even if you got, even if the physics isn't great, and in this one it isn't great, but it's not bad, bad, but it's got to offer more than more game. You've got to have more lights and more action and just more stuff for it to ping around and do stuff. You don't get that here. So while the graphics here are better than the average ones we've seen so far, and I can't think of the other pinball games we've seen, but... Slam Ball, I think, is the only one I seem to remember. Yeah, and I think for me, because I know later down the line you get, um, you know, amazing pinball games on the Amiga and stuff, so Pinball Dream and things like that come later yeah, down yeah. the line so and so I'm not comparing it to that but what I'm saying is that he's tried to up the ante on the things that matter in this and that's fair but and it is a bit more polished and it is two pounds so it's a whole summary two quid so all right all right. But the physics isn't quite there here. The ball is still a little bit floaty. Remember that it's a, it's a heavy ball inside of a pinball and the, 
the this sort of the angle of the slope of the pinball is kind of important because when it's aiming, you know, when it's careering towards your flippers, flappers, paddles, whatever you want to call them, flippers, flippers, and you hit it, you, if you hit it pretty hard, you're going to get a good good chunk of uh, inertia from that. It's going to fling that ball around. And there is a little bit of that in this, but it's very hit and miss about how it operates that way. So it seemed to be more, I don't know, I, I, I seem to find for me, that sometimes you'd press it and the, and the, um, it would hit the ball quite well. Other times it just didn't seem to do anything. And yet this, the impact should have been this, in the same way. And it's just, I think the physics not quite being there. The look and feel of it was okay. Lit up, you know, in the way that pinballs do, but there's not much pinball to it. There's the kind of classic letters to light up and a few things to bounce off and a few side panels and a few things to knock down. But that's all there is. It, it need These kind of pinball games, to work really well, they need a big theme around them. All the good ones, even the Microsoft free one that came with uh, Windows, you know, we had that rocket ship and, you know, there's just things you can do and, you know, if you get the certain score, then things launch and you get the multipliers and the multiples. And that's why arcade uh, pinballs are really good because they have all of that. You take that away to the basic core pinball, well, it's not much to it, but mm-hmm. this is £2. So for £2, I've said that, all right, it's it's not crap, it's passable. Physics is better than we've seen before, but I think really you'd have to be you'd have to be a big pinball fan to go for it. But two quid, it's got seventy three percent. All right, I'll go for that. I don't know how much time it would have passed for me. Really, I might have ended up with it as a present, and because it was no secret that I quite like pinball, so if I did, I probably would have played it every now and again. I would never have really sort of stuck at it though, because there's not much more to it than after after a few games you've kind of done everything. Mm. What about you? I'm pretty much the same, really. Yeah, budget pinball, one table, four players, questionable physics. Yeah, six sixty four pinball simulator. It's budget pinball, but even for two quid, I don't think this would hold your interest for very long. No. Yeah, you can have four players on it, but you need need four other people. I suppose you play it on your own, four players. But I like the presentation on the font for the scores. Yeah. Um, but it felt, as you rightly noted, very bare bones, and it does that thing that I don't like, where you can only have one flipper up at any one moment. Yeah, that's really weird. That, and I really hate that in pinball games. I don't know why that is implemented. But there's yeah. no point for that, especially when you're using the two shift keys and space. Yes. I mean, even by now as well, proper pinballs had multiple... Um, multiple flippers. flippers and, in. Yeah. yeah, little ones at the top. And there's no reason why you can't have that in this game. No. Anyway, it's little pinball. Yeah. Little, little ball, yeah. Little, little pinball, whatever. Nothing much more to this. I guess if you really, really like seeing scores go up... Like you know, it, you may get something from this. Otherwise, yeah, meh. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's budget. It's budget one table pinball. Yeah, there's better budget games to play that are more fun. Yeah, there are. That's that one. Let's move along. <laughs> Got one game left, and Graham are going to come to you again on this one. So before we talk about where this came from, can you tell us all about Heli Squad? <laughs> this was this is your game. You made Heli Squad. I did make Heli Squad. You made Heli Squad. How old was you when you made it, actually? Now, I don't know much about when you made it. I know you made it, but I don't know much about how you I've made been it. I've been 16. When. So, and it's in the mold of, and we mentioned this other game before, didn't we? The shoot 'em up that it was. Uh, yeah, Tiger Heli. Tiger Heli, yeah. It's a top-down shoot 'em up where you've got a helicopter making your way through the waves of enemy patterns and things to shoot. I don't know. Was there a goal to it? Because I never actually reached the end of what you did. I just kept. I just played it and died eventually because <laughs> it was dying. quite hard. It is quite hard. It's really, it's really hard. But it was constructed, of course, with the shoot 'em up construction kit. Now I think it's amazing um, that that you made that game because learning to code, machine code, and doing all of those things that would have been required to make games is hard. So what have you got in your game? You've got. A decent helicopter sprite. You've got nice backgrounds. You've got really good um, scrolling action. You've got waves of enemies coming in. You've got ground-based things, weird-shaped ground-based things, but they are there. Oh, what? The, they're the gun turrets. They're the, the gun, gun turrets. turrets. <laughs> but, but what it is, is as much as it might be a bit bare bones and no one's denying that as a Thanks. 16-year-old, you know, you, you're going to go into creating Qdex-level sprites or anything like that or 
delta level sprites you know you did what you could do mm-hmm. and they actually functioned perfectly well in that game single it's a single sprite for the main player isn't it um, yes. and then the enemy sprites come and sort of top down you're going bottom up and you're just shooting at them you can shoot at a good rate or not so there's no upgrades or anything like that you can just shoot and blow things up but there's all animations for everything complete animations for the helicopter complete animations for explosions it's all there it's like the on the helicopter it's got the back wrote a thing going around yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. And you obviously you as you go on you gain gaining a score, which the game keeps a track of really well. I think there's a high score option in there. I'm not I sure I don't know, I'm not sure if there is because I I don't think there is in shoot construction kit. I thought so. there was in yours. I think I sort of maybe I just got a deep I mean I never got a high score because I never last lived long enough in the game to get a really good high score. It is a tough old game. But Did you get to the um, jeeps and the huts? Uh, I definitely got to the huts because I remember going, Lord, the shadow on that thing. <laughs> yeah, that's where the Outrageous. graphics go a bit. The perspective yeah, but, goes a bit odd. But you you learned, you were learned, this, was, this was the first thing you made with that, I think, as a sort of permanent product, I think. It was, yes. And I think in that instance, because you could, you could actually, and obviously you'll look at the way this was made in a moment, but you could have just used the graphics that came with the thing, but you didn't choose to do that because you, you, there's ways you can create the sprites and you create the frames of animation and the animation's actually pretty good on the helicopter. It's better than some of the other helicopters I've seen in other games. We'll make yeah, this game, because this is your game, we can make this game available as a download from the website, which is pretty exciting. Which we've got. Yeah, yeah, it's we an ironic twist. There is a cracked version of this, which is cracked by the very demo group that I was a part of. I'm not responsible yeah. for that, by the way. I won't mean that. No. <laughs> There's actually more. There's more cracks on that CSDV. <laughs> there is, yeah. Like, someone someone's that. plus one it, and I think I you need the plus one version. So yeah, so we'll, we can hard. make this. We'll make it available. Links to those things, but it's worth a download just to see a a, a game made with a really interesting product. Again, I, you're going to talk about that in a minute. But as far as helicopters, if I was going to be critical of Heli Squad, there's not much audio because you couldn't do a lot of audio with the thing. You could make sound effects no. and things, but. So there's no music or anything like that in it. But the, what is in there is perfectly acceptable for what it is. It's it's very clearly influenced by the games you'd play. So there's, I think there's probably a bit of Atari 2600 in there and some of those River Raid kind of ideas and things like that. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But there's, I think the ambition's there and you pull it off and you make it, make a full game. Age 16 on the Commodore 64, that ain't bad going. That ain't bad yeah. going on. You did it all yourself. I mean, it's not like you went off and you, know, you went to the Bob the Graphics guy down the road and it would have been no good coming to me to it because I'm crap at drawing anything, especially sprites. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have the I don't have the patience for it. I genuinely don't. It took me ages to draw logos for the bloody S Express demo group, and even then, I hated them. So you did a marvelous thing. I really like it, and I had a good blast on it today. And I really enjoyed it, my time with it. So what's the lot <laughs> to like? It's, the thing is, you've not tried to because you can make quite complex logic in the in the engine, can't you? And so. you've, yeah, yeah. you've kept you've kept your logic simple and just kept what it is. And it, it genuinely does work as a good little shooter. So, and I think it's, it's on Lemon 64, I think. So I remember, I'm sure I've seen a review of it. Somewhere. Really? I'm not I'm sure, sure about that. Anyway, anyway you, that's something you can you can Google away there. But the, we'll make sure the game's available on, a, on the download or links to the where you can get it from because it is 80s game. So he's perfectly allowed to do that. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, because we don't generally don't do those kind of things for obvious reasons. But I think if you're rolling back the clock, 34 years, and this is uh, this is you in your early designer game designer hat on. And now, of course, you know it's a whole different ballgame with your teaching game design and everything else, and making your own games on you know, on mobile and all sorts of stuff and Xbox and everything. So it's kind of incredible. But this is that's this is where it began in that little little game, and I think it's great. I really enjoyed it. I, I tell you what, it's better than some of the other crap. You know, we're just looking at the lineup we've got here. Is it better than Captain America? Yes. Better than Thundercats? Yes. Better than Indiana Jones? Yes. Better than Yogi? Yes. And then I'm sorry, I'm not saying, um, no, because that's not saying, you might be saying, well, that's not saying a lot because those games are utter <laughs> shite. But you know what? You were one person who just got hold of a, of a of a, an engine and a kit to be able to do this and set about making that. And it's better than any of those things because yes, the engine's the power, but the ideas are what you had and then and the ability to put it together. So fair play to 16-year-old A.D. Mills 
um, because I think it's a good little thing to do. And you always was, had a knack for sprite animation because I remember you drawing all those eyes for that demo we made, the eyes of it, where you had all oh, the little yeah. eyes dancing and animating and you had one in a trampoline going up and down and we're really cool. So you've always had a knack for sprite animation. So I like it. Yeah. But nice it, it was made with a very, very interesting piece of uh, software, which I'm sure you can ably describe now. But your game, made with that piece of software, I thought it was, and I'm not just saying it because it's your game and it's you. I've always liked it because it's always been a good little thing to have in your back pocket and it is good fun to play. So go and, go and download it and go and experience yeah. Aidy's very first, very first game. Very first game, very first. It's better than my first game. So. Actually, I did, I've done, I did something on the quill before then. My first one was an adventure, but technically, well, you just used the game engines that you had, didn't you? So, yeah, but technically, technically, as a as an arcade game, my first one was basic on an Acorn Electron. Oh, wow, okay. So it was the three keys that was, we've mentioned it before, but it's yeah. nowhere near as and in the same realm as something like that you created with with Heli Squad. So go no. download it and play it. I wish I wish you know it was a part of me wishes I still kind of had the sprite sheets and everything and things like because yeah it's, it's kind of strange but it, yeah you could it's always just a do a re- remake I could do a remake there's a just, <laughs> just a hel- helicopter shooter but it was based around yeah tiger tiger heli remake heli, heli remake squad. for mobile remake I'll try I'll see what I do I can do it in <laughs> Unity I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, so this was, I don't know, we'll discuss, I'll say a bit about shooting construction kit. This was the second of the three gold medals. Obviously, it got the cover the cover the other month. I think it was October when it got the sort of preview. That's right. Um, and this is, you know, this is sensible software. So released through Out, Outlaw Productions or something. So I'm not quite sure where this had come from. But it's John Hare and Chris Yates, and, and essentially what they've done is they've just given you the keys to the vertical scrolling shoot 'em up kingdom, um, and, and 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 they've done it in a way that is, is is quite incredible. Going back to it, it's so simple to use. So essentially, what what they've done it, and what they also did, they gave you four four games that they built in it to play as well. I can't remember the one. One of them was Slap and Tickle, which is based on Slap Fight. What were the other ones? I can't, I can't remember what they were. But they're, they're, basically, there's, there's four games for you to play through: um, Slap and Tickle, variant of an uh, there's Outlaw, which is a Gunsmoke clone. There's Transputer Man, which is a Robotron game, and and Celebrity Shoot 'Em Up, a blaster containing sprites designed by many famous names in the industry. So they've gone to pains to show you this. And it, actually, in the next few issues of Zap, John Hare has a regular column where he sort of talks through um, how to get the best out of the this you know this game engine because essentially that's what this is. You know, it's a game engine. Um, it's a it's a it's a very focused game engine because it's about doing vertical scrolling shoot 'em ups. The clever thing about this was um, it wasn't just always scrolling. So you could do either one. So you could do full on constant scrolling shoot 'em ups. You could do bosses. So you could stop the levels at certain points and and when bosses came on and, and do all that logic within it. Um, but it also allowed you to do push levels. So you could do ones where you were working your way upwards a bit at a time. The logic for it was easy to get your head around. Essentially, you know, you had a really, really intuitive sprite designer that was a big on-screen sprite designer. You picked your four colors, um, two, you know, because it was all medium res, so you had your two colors, um, your background color, and then each sprite had its own color, so you could do all that with four colors. You could, in the sprite editor, you can select sprites, you can edit sprites, you can edit colors, you can select color, you can mirror them, you could slide them, you could copy them, and that was useful when you're doing animation because you just copied, you drew it once, you copied it into the next one, and you you had uh, the memory bank to have it was 128 sprites you could you could do for backgrounds you had a uh, per character level so you you made your you made your backgrounds out of blocks i can't remember how many blocks you had but it's quite a few so each block you basically drew in characters i mean and i think each block was made up of 5 by 5 characters so then you know you, it was quite possible to do a real good series of different kind of blocks and you can see that within the games that are in they're made and then you basically just plan you just laid them out and you just made your level you know as long as you could fit in memory essentially 
And then you had objects, enemies, your your player, you gave your own logic, you say how many lives, whether you get an extra life at 10,000 or whatever, your speed, how, how often it's shot, the speed of the bullets. For the enemies, you could control them and make them follow paths. You could just have them stats, uh, spray. You could say what kind of uh, angle that they shot in. So in Heli Squad, there's the gun emplacements which fire both down, bottom left, and bottom right, and so they could cause quite problems when they're firing quite regularly. You could design so you, as you've got to put points, you put your enemies in, and you could have them move on different attack patterns and ways which you designed. And 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 then at the end of all this, you do all this. You, there was also a little trick with the title screen as well. I think if you it was shift and one of the buttons which gave that effect you know on heli squad where it spells out heli squad those big sort of color raster bars you could do you could get that effect by holding shift to one of the keys and i found that out by accident but then you could spell big letters rather than just have it in text so you, you could do all these things the, the end it was really powerful really good yes if you put too many sprites on screen it will slow down simple as you can see that in heli squad right near the beginning where i put too many sprites on them and not not fixed it but it is what it is all this you can edit the level and then the, the beauty of this thing was that you could save this and export it and it would run outside the engine so that's what i did with heli squad and then you could release that and my friend sent it out and it came back i remember it coming back two weeks later on a disc cracked it was so weird to see you know with a trainer <laughs> on it i was like someone trained it i was like, oh my god someone played and trained it wow it's amazing someone put infinite lives on it and those are now as we've said there are there's four versions of it on csdb but it was I, I could not get my head around assembler code programming and things like that, but this was a real in for making video games and making games. And so for some, someone like myself who was really wanted to make games, but just, just didn't have the brain to do assembler code. I can do C sharp and stuff now, and I've learned things like that. But back then, it, I just didn't have the time, the, the perseverance. I know you could do it, but it wasn't wasn't for me. This was a real godsend, and it absolutely 100% deserved that gold medal. I think this is an amazing piece of software, even now today, and it's still going strong, isn't it? I, I think there was shoot up construction kit on the Amiga, was there? There was um, a shoot up construction kit too. There was, yeah, on the ST. This, yeah. And on the ST, there's still, I think every year or every twice every year, they have a shoot up construction kit challenge there's one guy who's doing crazy things with it when you go look at what his games is making i can't remember his name you could also have two player modes so this wasn't just a single player you could do two players so much was in this and so much that you could do and it was so powerful and so simple and so easy hats off to john Hare and um chris yates for this just incredible incredible piece of software and you know was one of the best things i bought this because i was like i I want this so you know and on cassette it was a single load there it was perfect can't can't fault it what a what a what a piece of what a piece of kit brilliant stuff do you have anything to add on it um only really that i i mean i agree with everything you said i mean i lacked the patience which is odd I like the patience to do all of the because this is this is game creation from the creative side in. So all of the code and all of the code behind stuff. I was quite into the code behind stuff and quite into doing that sort of stuff. But I never made a game with any of that. I mean, I did lots of demo effects and things like that. But a game was something that we never did. But this is really clever. This is such a clever bit of kit. I mean, it's, this is a game engine before game engines were even a thing. Sitting in sixty four K to allow you to do what it does is I don't it's, know how they it, did it. It's it's just it's incredible, really. I mean, it, it's, I had a bit of a flirt with it, like everyone did, but I never made anything. Certainly, never anything, made anything like Heli Squad or anything like that. I think I made a couple of things move around, and I was like, "eh." But um, it is ridiculously easy to use, really, and it just takes time and patience, which is the two things I lacked uh, <laughs> most of back then, and I lack them even more now in my older years. So, I, I, I mean, I, I wasn't going to 
I loaded it up and I had a look at it and I was like, I'm not going to do anything with this. And I looked at the games, you know, and things like that. I obviously played your game. And I was like, you know what? This this is in the right hands. This tool is amazing. And then when I did a look to see how many shoot up construction kit games are out there, there are loads. Yeah, there really are. There are. Apparently there was a whole wave of them being submitted to loads of companies after this. <laughs> they were like, I'm going to shoot a look. And some of them are really good, including yours. So it does take you through those logical steps of how to create a good shoot 'em up focusing, focusing on the things that make shoot 'em ups good. And so you don't have to worry about it because the engine does all the heavy lifting for you, which is exactly as it should be. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, they, I suppose they all had a kind of look. But it was a good look. It's not a bad look. You know, that slap slap fight derivative they made, it looks pretty good. And the other ones are completely different. You can do scrolling or one-screen games with this. It's quite varied. Yeah. So I think a previously almost impossible thing and in the in a, in a voodoo, really, around creating games, suddenly the door was opened and there was this world, you know, you can create games. It's not this, it's not in the purview of scientists and coders and things. Look, look at this creative approach to making games. And I think for that alone, it is genuinely amazing. In. It was basically a, an offshoot of Palace that released it, by the way, um, okay. which is which is the the company that you mentioned at the start. I forget the name, but Outlaw Games. Outlaw, yeah, that's basically a Palace derivative, but right. Obviously, it's sensible all the way. Such a brilliant idea, and it's such an expression, really, of Chris Yates and John Hare's minds. We've spoken to John Hare, and you know, not just for the podcast on many different occasions, but certainly for the podcast, and that insight into how he creates games and his iterative process. You can see how. Working with Chris Yates and Chris Yates' iterative processes, you can see how it led to this and how that then leads later to the kind of things they do on the Amiga and stuff. I think this is just a brilliant idea and it is way, way, way ahead of its time. Um, This is a game engine. You can make executable individual games of your own design. I think it's amazing. I think it's really, really amazing. And in 64K, I would defy anyone now to be able to do that. Mm. Absolutely. You wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, I've, even the sound files for a game would be more than that by miles. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. so you wouldn't be able to do it, but you could. And then the good thing is still, even with an emulator and even with uh, with a copy of Shoot Construction Kit, even now you could load up an emulator, load that up, and you can still make a shoot 'em up game for the Commodore 64 that is passable if you take the time. Just shows yeah, you yeah. How, how much longevity there is in that. I never even came across the Amiga version, strangely enough, ever. Just never came across it. And um, probably should have, probably because I was wasn't wasn't something that pirated to me. Sadly to say, I'm I think just... by the time you get to the Amiga, you you gotta. I think it's one of those points. Sort of thing where you the C sixty four and the thing I found you could you could have your one man band doing it. So you, you yeah. know you could do it all yourself yeah. and you do all that. I think when you get to the Amiga, you need even on something like this, you need a team. Yeah, you do because you're talking. You know, you need you need actual drawing skills. Yes, exactly. When you've got that many colours and that much, that sort of fidelity. Whereas it's just a 21 by, what is it, 21 by 15 or whatever it is, the sprite size on this. Yeah, it's quite quite small. 11, it's 21 by by 11, I think it is. It's not that massive. So you you can only do so much and you've only got four colours and two, you know, three of them have to be constant throughout. So, you know, you've got your light, your dark, and then you're in between. Yeah. You usually go with white, black and something else. Amazing what could be done with those, you know, those limitations. And you've, you've proved it yourself. No, yeah. you made a game on the Commodore 64, whichever whichever route to do that. Nobody would look at them and go, oh, you made it with a game engine. So, you know, but nowadays that's permanent. That's how it's done. Yeah, like, exactly. The, un- the Unreal Engine exists for this exact purpose. It's yeah. a, And the it's a new, collection Unity of, of game libraries and things. And Unity is a collection of libraries pre-built so you don't have to do that bit. This yeah. was doing it way before that, years before it. 
incredible. It's incredible. It's an incredible thing, the Shootable Construction Kit. I just wish it had reached me a bit better. But by this point, I tuned out. Of, I was in, say, demos and then music kind of where, where it landed for me, but just amazing. Just yeah, amazing. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, don't underestimate. I mean, yeah, music especially sort of thing. I mean, the amount of stuff you did with um, things like Optimed and stuff, you're, you're just, your interest just ran in a different direction. Yeah, completely, completely different. But I stand in, I stand in awe that the fact that that product is what it is. Um, and I've mm. found some really great links um, on Retro Gaming 64, which has got the entire tips section that, that you spoke about the all of that text from that um zap article by yeah john Hare and loads of tips and there's also not just the tips and everything on there but loads of they've gathered all of the things from all the magazine tips and put them into one place there's even get, get downloadable games there as well that this that the people have done with it it's a nice little re- it's a nice little resource yeah. so i'll you know if you do fancy having a go and i would recommend that you do if you've got the time you mm, wouldn't go far go. wrong because you're going to create something with very few bugs if any yeah so absolutely if i do give one bit of advice before you start is have a have a theme have a thing that you want to do pick a theme for your graphics whatever if you're mm. going to do a space shooter then pick a style of space shooter if you're going to do it like i did i went did heli squad and i was like i knew tiger heli things like that so i knew i had helicopters jeeps gun turrets tanks planes yeah. yeah the rest and i knew i wanted to do it sort of over jungle and that was it so it's easy enough to do so not easy but i had i had the, I had the theme that i wanted and that would be the one bit of advice I'd give you. Because if you're just going in going, oh, I'll just make something, you won't. Yeah, yeah, very um, true. So like any game, really, work out what you want, actually want to make first. Yeah. Because you, you we won't finish something that you just start nope. from with that idea. Go in with a plan. Yes. Go in with a plan. Indeed. There we go. That's it. That's our games this week. So what have we looked at? We've looked at quite a few. 12 this week. 12, yeah. 12 games. We have looked at Boogie Boy, which, yeah, all right. <laughs> average arcade turned into an average game. Yeah. Captain America. No. Crap. Captain America. Ass, that was crap. Thundercats. Just uh, no. not. <laughs> no, Change another no. game into something else. You're not going to end up with no. something that does the license justice. Made me cough up a furball, that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I did a massive dump in the litter tray for that one. Yeah, um, someone did. <laughs> did, a, did a huge lion-o. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which, <laughs> Temple of yeah, Arse. Yeah. Uh, Yogi Bear. Yeah, no. Yogi Don't. No, you yeah. don't. Yeah, Action Force. No. Action Farce. Action Farce, yeah. Street Hassle. No. Mm. Yeah. One uh, computer, computer Scrabble. One dimensional, yeah. Uh, it's a good game of Scrabble. Gonna play Scrabble. Yeah. How to be a complete bastard. One of the worst games we've played in a while. Yeah, absolutely dreadful. Yeah, absolutely crap. <laughs> yeah, uh, Super Sprint, which was buggy, buggy conversion. Lacked all. The- Ironically, in a game, in an episode, we've got Buggy Boy. This was buggier than Buggy Boy. And buggy Boy wasn't buggy. <laughs> Yeah, true. Micro ball, yeah. budget Micro pinball. boring. Yeah. Micro, yeah. Okay. Micro ball. <laughs> and, <then, laughs> and then finally, the shoot up construction kit and Heli Squad. Yay. Uh, there, there we go. So that's our games for this week. We've got more coming up next week. What have we got next week? I've lost, lost the agenda. Uh, Nebulous done? is in there. Uh, yes, I've completely lost the agenda. You go. Have you got it open? I've got it gone. We've got Nebulous. Um, yes, Prime Minister. Oh, I'm God. To that. Have Implosion, we? Discovery, X15, Alpha Mission, and Zigzag. <laughs> X-15 Alpha Mission, That's uh, that sounds like a CC Sputnik album. <laughs> sounds, sounds to me like it's got vectors involved in it. When they have things, titles like that makes me think vector games. Yeah. Uh, I don't know for sure. Uh, Maniac Mansion, of course, which, well, that's that's a biggie, that one, I think. And it's mm. not even a gold medal. Are you having a laugh, Zap? Are you having a laugh? <laughs> Earth Orbit oh, we'll Stations. See. Ooh, that, that's expensive. 
Yeah. 16, 17 quid. A hyperblob. Pirates in hyperspace. I'm dreading that. Sunburst <laughs> and Bangkok Nights. And um, then that's it, isn't it? That's us done for the year. That is. That is literally December done. That's it. That's Another it. year. A whole year. The bally lot. And then the following week, we'll see the 87 Breadbin Awards. It will. Yes, my gosh. Um, epic what a, what that a year will be. Been. What a year it has been. Um, but yeah, so stick with us. We've also got a couple of crap birds for next week as well. Actually, more than one crap, three crap birds. One's, one's going to be right up your alley. Um, oh, God. I know for a fact. That's it for this week. As ever, if you wish to support the podcast in a cashola style manner, then we have our Patreon running at patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past, where for just a single pound, which probably gets cheaper every week due to the pound <laughs> crashing even further recently. Does, yeah. um, so it's possibly, I don't know, it's probably about a, a less than a Mars bar, wherever you are, if you're in, in Britain. You, you can get you can support us for that, and that gets you at the entry level, and that's very nice. We appreciate that. If you want to the full fat Patreon experience, that's £4.50 or your equivalent. That gets you bonus episodes. We've got some plans for some stuff along those lines coming up. It also gets you access to our private Discord server and it also gets you full interviews that we've done, access to them. And it also gets you the episodes early. They release on a Friday, so you can have them before the weekend, should you wish them. And they're ad-free as well. So if you don't like the ads, then which you should do because the ads are cool. But if you don't, and you, some people don't, we get it, then you get them, get them ad-free. And there you go. So that's about it, if you can help out with that. Also, rate, review, whatever on and iTunes share. and all that thing. Share. Tell people. Tell people if you like us. We've seen some very nice uh, feedback on Twitter this week. Uh, people going for country walks, listening to us, and that's always very nice to see, pondering the problems of the sharks in Canada. Uh, that was that was brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. So, And it really made me want an ice pop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, why don't I have an ice pop? Yeah, he was having a cola one, wasn't he? Yeah, it made, instantly made me want a cola ice pop. In fact, yeah. I'm going to have to go and get some, find some freeze pops from somewhere and have one of them. <laughs> that was for anyone who's wondering. That was that was Mr. Richard Horn on Twitter who um, who, t- who tweeted that. So very much, very good to see that. Yeah, Thank you, Richard. Greatly appreciated. And yeah, hugely. Let me know where um, you get those freeze pops from. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It looked like a lovely walk as well, wherever you were going. It, did, it, looked, did, yeah. it looked very, very yeah, nice. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just looking at the picture now. It's very nice. It's very um, nice. Anyway, on that note, I think we're done. So you got anything more you want to add? No, I'm just going to find the you know, where the nearest heron is and go and see if they've got any freeze pops. But other than that... <laughs> Probably be closed... I think now. Well, yeah, it won't be now. I mean, I'm not, but I'm not going to Tesco. No, I, I refuse. I don't like Tesco anymore. Okay. There's all, all the supermarkets are available. <laughs> they are available to everybody. <laughs> they really are. Um, so on that note, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Ruddings. You've been listening to Zapped to the Past, and we will round up 1987 next week. See you then. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. 
The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.